Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Well, first of all, uh, let me just very briefly opine. Uh, generally, I try to keep it light. This is a sports show. Uh, I was going to make a mention, of course, Father's Day, which is coming up very soon. And you know, my father went to his eternal rest about five years ago. And what I also was going to make, I guess, mention of, because there's no way to, to not make some sort of note of it in. Columbia, South Carolina, a beautiful town in a beautiful state with an ugly history. Perhaps one of the most hideous examples of racial animus took place. And, you know, this is a, a show we're going to keep it light for the most part and talk sports and especially mostly football, obviously, it's a football show. But my thoughts, my prayers, my heart, and my soul go out to those people and I'm touched by their amazing grace. There's a song written of all things by a captain of a slave ship who, during a pretty dark time of his life, took a look, took a stock of what he was doing, taking captured Africans to the shores of a strange land and dropping them in a place where they would never return, never see their loved ones, never worship their own gods or speak their own language ever again. And the legacy of that time, the triangular slave trade, is with us. Um, people always talk about slavery, you know, blah, 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 long ago, and I say to them, I can get back to slavery in less than five generations. Um, my father's grandparents were the first people in his family born outside the shackles of slavery. So my father's great-grandparents were slaves. It doesn't seem that long ago when you say it that way. My father's no, great grandparents. Wasn't that long were ago? <laughs> My father's great grandparents were slaves. So it is to we must remember that this country, a beautiful, wonderful, amazing country, has some deep and dangerous divisions and has not fully dealt with the legacy of chattel slavery. So the things that manifest themselves are echoes of those sins of the, I guess in this case, great-great-grandfathers that are visited upon, unfortunately, the, the sons and daughters that walk the, the country today. And so, as I said, my thoughts, my prayers, my hopes, and heart and soul go out to the people, particularly the victims, but the entire community of Columbia, South Carolina, which needs to search its soul, its collective soul, long and hard. There are vestiges, things in the air in Columbia, South Carolina that have unfortunately found their ways into the, some of the people there. And it's a tough transition, guys, but I'm going to try to see if I can steer us back onto a normal course. But sorry, go ahead, Jim. You had something to say? Oh, uh, I uh, I don't know. You brought up slavery, and, uh, and uh, so that's how we're going to start the show. 
So, uh, yeah, I know. Sorry. I just, I felt like I couldn't not make some mention of, of what's happened, but yeah. I don't want to well, you know, to spend too much time on it, but it's the kind of thing you can't not well, mention. Well, people have to understand, I mean, it was only about four decades since we had civil rights movement, five decades. Yeah, yeah, between four and five decades. That's that would be a rough. In my in my mother's lifetime, she lived in Texas, where she was actually part of race wars, as she called it, where she would have yep. to stay home because there'd be fights, all sorts of crazy stuff happening in Texas. Uh, yep. It was only about a decade, even further, where I mean, you know, racism exists uh, as much as people want to say it. It died off decades ago. It's still here. Uh, it's just kind of sad that uh, that this incident happened, obviously, and that there's lives that were lost. But uh, you know, hey, we obviously we hold our prayers. We hope that one day uh, we live in a world where people don't develop hate and animosity for people just because of the color of their skin and stuff like that. But um, yeah. Yep, that's life. Yes, it is indeed. Uh, we can only hope that, as we say, you know, uh, the passage, not just of time, but that people begin to devote energy, because you can't just wait for time to, to take care of it. I hope people begin to devote energy to making the change and be the change, as the saying goes, be the change that we want to see. So, once again, in the world of tough transitions, as I just said, um, hard transition to make. Tough transition to make, but you know that's why I get paid and not very big. But the uh, the Big Twelve, which you know obviously at one point had Nebraska as sort of its standard bearer in the north, and usually either Oklahoma or Texas as standard bearer in the south, now longer has Nebraska in the conference whatsoever. And Kansas State, to a certain extent, is sort of split into what used to be the Nebraska role. But the old powers uh, within the Big Twelve. Some of them have stumbled a bit. Uh, Oklahoma has you know, been a good competitive program recently, but it's no longer an odds-on favorite to be the, you know, the top team in its half of the Big 12. Uh, obviously, the rise of, of programs like TCU, which weren't even in the conference uh, not that long ago, and Baylor, which was once and also ran for most of its time in the conference until the last few years, you know, now are programs with a very legitimate chance to win the conference. Um, in fact, the sort of some people's sexy dark horse pick to win the whole, or maybe not that dark a horse, maybe sort of a beige horse to win the whole shebang in terms of the NCAA playoffs and everything. Some, a lot of people are picking TCU to win it all. Uh, Baylor is a team that I won't be shocked if they win 11 games a game. I mean, they already had the best run, best three-year run in Baylor football history, and they're about to, I think, have the best four-year run in Baylor football history. It seems strange to say it, but now Oklahoma is, I won't say underdog, too strong a word, and I'm talking underdog. You can't call a program like Oklahoma an underdog, but they're definitely a team that's going to be fighting to to get to 10 wins, I think. Uh, we'll see. I guess I could be wrong. They could end up being, you know, the national champion, and then I'll say, oh, well, I guess they straighten things out. Um, Texas, once again, one of those flagship programs. I mean, they have some good the greatest here. Sure, but the the greatest example, I mean, Texas went, what was it, from 19, 
37 or something. I can't remember the exact year, but I think it might have been 1937 until this past draft. There was a player from the University of Texas draft. This last year was the first year in, well, obviously any of our lifetimes, and I'm, I think well before any of our lifetimes, that a Texas player did not get drafted. And you have to remember that some of these, you know, Texas uh, – I mean, it's, it's, a, it's just an amazing thing, you know, that, that when you think about a, that program, you know, in that state, right, what well, used to be the flagship program in the flagship football state, not having a single player drafted. That, that's one of those sort of shake your head and realize you're living in a brave new world kind of deal. But um, the Big 12 has become, you know, it used to be a bash-your-head-in conference. Well, I mean, it wasn't no, called the Big 12 in those days. It wasn't called the Big 12 in those days. I mean, you wouldn't remember the conference. I guess you might remember. But before the, it was the Big 12, uh, the Big 8 and the Southwest Conference, which were the two conferences that got sort of cannibalized to make the Big 12, uh, they were both smash-your-head-in conferences. And the only difference is how they smashed their head in. Uh, um, the in the old Southwest Conference, Texas would smash their head in mostly. You know, they they used obviously some um, some triple option. They used wishbone as well, but they were very much sort of a little more downhill. And then you had Nebraska and Oklahoma, which were truly you know wishbone aficionados at the highest level. I mean, some of the prettiest wishbone offense I've ever seen in my life was SMU when they had Lance McElhaney, Craig James, you know, the Pony Express, Craig James and, and Eric Dickerson. And that was some pretty wishbone football to watch. The guy that sort of got lost in the sauce is Lance McElhaney, who was a great triple option quarterback. And then, you know, the the Jamel Holloway era, you know, at uh, at Oklahoma after they experimented with trying to get, get sort of pro style again when they tried the, uh, the Troy Aikman experiment and then when Aikman broke his leg and decided to transfer, uh, they went right back to being what they were, and that was – I mean, I watched a lot of triple option football there, and that was their best sort of era of it. Uh, Jim Holloway was a beautiful executor of triple option. And I guess you can throw Arkansas in there, uh, who were in the old Southwest Conference. They had some great – both under Ken Hatfield and, of course, under uh, Coach Lou Holtz, they ran some beautiful triple option. Uh, so those are – some of my favorites, and then, you know, obviously Air Force and some of those, you know, some Naval Academy and others still do it. But, and it's effective, but it doesn't have the same beauty. Maybe because the athletes aren't as good. Maybe that's what it is. But when I used to watch those old Arkansas, Oklahoma, um, and Nebraska teams run triple option in the 70s, just some of it was, and 80s, some of it was just luscious, gorgeous. You know, and everybody obviously focuses on the – throwing game, you know, and I understand why. I mean, the game has changed. But but some of those option elements, and Art Bryles, who came from triple option, he played for, the, you know, one of the great fathers of triple option when he played himself for Billy Yeoman, who is, you know, he and Emily Ballard are the two fathers, to some extent, of the, the wishbone triple option as we now know it, came from those two guys, Emily Ballard and, and, and Billy Yeoman, who sort of followed Emily Ballard original design of it and sort of perfected it. And, of course, the rather thankless job of playing wide receiver, which was what Art Bryles was in the triple option offense. You learn to block. You know, you give him a blocker. But he, he retained, even when he went to the spread, a lot of those things he learned as a young coach. So the Big 12 still has some of those old roots in the old triple option, but they, they do everything very differently. Now the 
third option, the triple option nowadays is the bubble screen or a pop pass to the, um, you know, to the to the tight end or, I mean, they you know, something else. They package it in such a way that you still have some riding beside stuff and there's no fullback dive, you know, because there's no fullback. But they'll have some sort of package interior run together with, you know, some sort of possible either zone or sweep kind of thing or a fly sweep. And then, like I said, off of it, you know, you just ride, ride, pop up and throw the ball to somebody on a, you know, like I said, a little quick now screen or, or pop pass to the tight end. So those elements are still there. They just spread it out, you know, instead of it happening within this little five-yard box, now it happens all the way across the field. So looking at the Big 12, uh, the Big 12 is pretty talent-rich. Jim, who, just from your sort of metrical analysis, who are some of the guys you're most excited about in the, in the conference? And we'll, then we'll go team by team after you get sort of some of your favorite dudes. Uh, right now, I mean, uh, Nigel Tribune is the cornerback out of Iowa State. I'm kind of a big fan of. Um, he's kind of a slot guy. Uh, Justice, Justice Nelson at Texas Tech is another cornerback I think uh, has uh, some potential to do some stuff. Um, the corner at Oklahoma, you know, Sanchez. There's, there's, a, there's a few things he needs to work on, but, I mean, he, he has the stuff. There's just some weird, you know, the sort of shuffle bell type technique stuff. Which is, uh, his technique, yes. I've whined about it before. I won't whine about it again, but I don't know why they teach that. It just hamstrings it slow. Whatever. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he's pretty decent. Uh, Hassan Ridgeway at Texas is an interior defensive lineman. I kind of want to see he can be that next guy to kind of step up uh, with, you know, Malcolm Brown being, uh, well, as you said, you know, they didn't have a guy drafted in 2013, but it didn't last very long. So <laughs> to get another one drafted uh, fairly early, you know, Malcolm Brown out from Texas. Yeah, uh, right. You, I mean, there's some wide receivers here. You know, Sterling Shepard probably my favorite Oklahoma. Um Obviously, Baylor has a few wide receivers here and there. Uh, Sean Oakman will be, I don't think he'll be controversial, but he'll definitely be someone that people will, I mean, people will like him or they'll love him and, like, want to have him in the top five and stuff like that. Uh, who else? Fine. There's always some offensive linemen. I haven't really focused in on any of the offensive linemen yet, but there's always a few here and there. I know Texas Tech has a tackle uh, that I've been kind of following a little bit. Um, He's been doing some stuff. And they also have some tight ends. But for the most part, I mean, there's some quarterbacks in there. Sorry, the middle lineman, Spencer Drago. Yeah, he's, oh, he's probably times. a right tackle. He's probably a right tackle only at the next no, level. But... No, 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 he's kind of a backup guard, but okay. Ooh, ouch. Right he hates Baylor players. He hates Sean, Sean Oakman. Sean Hickey. Sean Hickey 2.0, what Drango is, yeah. He called Sean Oakman a homeless man's Mario Williams. Yep. <laughs> that's, that's not hate. It's just he, he probably... That's it, a pretty good hate for, uh, a, a homeless man. Many people want to be a homeless man, Mario Williams, just so you know. Um, just, just like how you have your hate for Notre Dame tight ends, he has his hate it's for not, It's not even a hate. It's just recognizing that they're constantly overrated. Everyone always 
decides these guys are going to be stars and how many of them really have been. The last time one of these guys was really a superstar was Dave Casper, and that was long before you were born. Well, they have a pretty good one in the league right now. Yeah. Cal Rudolph. Okay. Two. Oh, he's kind of overrated. He got overpaid, too. Exactly. That's, that's well, it's paid on potential. It's paid on potential, Bill. There is no potential. Just like he's how... Just the guy. Like, he's not... Are we literally going to have this argument right Antonio now? Gates. He's not going to be a superstar tight end. He's that. going to be a decent tight end. There's no potential there. He's going to be <laughs> Kyle Rudolph. He's above starting tight end. Above average. Right. He's a... I don't even know... I think... Right around average, but but they overpay. <laughs> That's the point I'm driving at. Is that I don't know if it's a Notre Dame thing or whatever. But people get super super excited about these guys, and most of these guys are just that. Most of them are just guys. Well, every um, Baylor player I na- named to Jim yesterday, he just swatted them down. He dislikes them. <laughs> <laughs> Which one are we talking about? He said the only one he brought was Sean Oakman. I. I said he's a homeless man, Mario Williams, which is not a bad comparison, if you ask me. No, nope, not. You had to call him homeless. <laughs> because a good he's not a poor player, man. But... He's a homeless man. He's a different degree. Like, he's not just a poor man. He's a homeless man. You're like a backup. Um, he's, he's yeah. Like, he's six, nine, potential, but... a potential starting 3-4 defensive end to backup defensive end. That's what I think he's going to be. You know, I, I like him slightly starter. more than I like him slightly more than Jim, That's but it. I think he's gonna be better than um, that Umstead kid. You know, so you got. I think that's the good news. Mm. That you're gonna, I mean, I I think I mean I don't think I, I know I know it's you know sort of a low bar to cross, but I think he's gonna end up being better than Armstead kid. I don't know. He was like twenty twenty percent off speed and. 15% on dynamic speed? I don't know. That's kind of a hard bar for Oakland to reach. You don't think Oakland's going to test better than Oakland? Like I said, 20% off speed and 15% off dynamic speed. Well, right, exactly. That's my point. I mean, Oakland's going to be I'm being sarcastic well above that. Well, I thought you were being sarcastic. That's what I'm saying. So I'm just letting, you know, people didn't freak out when Armstead went as early as he did. Oh, oh I should be probably... better than Armstead. His teammate, uh, did... yeah, Buckner. Buckner's a better prospect. Yeah, Buck, right, he's the better prospect. You know, that's, that's player. Yeah. And a better player. <laughs> More yeah. importantly, he looked like he was with 81. Right. Well, he's because he's a good football I mean, I don't understand why people don't notice this guy's on the ground a lot for a guy who's supposed to be a supposedly superior athlete. Why is the ground so much? Stay on your feet. You know, I'm a lot more impressed if you stay up. That's how, you know? uh, this is how you should evaluate offensive linemen, though, too. Unlike uh, Jim, when he's trying to make the case for Jake uh, Fisher, he's on the ground a lot, if you look. He got beat quite a bit, and Again, he's saying, look, he's still going to be the offense, best offensive tackle in this draft class. Uh-uh. And I was trying to say Andres Pete was better. And Andres oh. Pete wasn't on the ground a lot? Yeah, I was going to say, you're making, you're destroy, you just destroyed your own argument because Andres Pete yes, was on the ground more than just about anybody else in the entire, like, the entire I went class. based on athleticism, though. 
Mm. Based on athleticism. <laughs> yeah, now you now you're you're digging yourself a deeper hole there, Isaiah. Pete is not a good athlete. Let's move on. Yeah, Pete's not a good athlete. He's that's why he's on the ground so much. You see, um, <laughs> so so yeah, he's a heavy-legged guy who's not terribly strong. That's a bad combination. Like if you don't have superior quickness and you aren't very strong, I don't understand why people are freaking out about this kid's upside. Like, where, 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 what upside? But getting back to the Big 12, where we were spending our time and energy. I got a question. There are some... There After are, you're done. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it in a moment. There are some people who think there might be two or three players in the top 10 that come from the conference. Some people are very high, even on Triple M Boykin. Now, obviously, I don't think the NFL has the same sort of love for Javon Boykin that certain segments of draft Twitter do. I, I think that generally they look at, quote-unquote, running quarterbacks with a certain amount of disdain with very few exceptions, a few exceptions, not very few exceptions. Um, he'll need to really show people growth. And he has shown me some. I mean, I looked at Trevon Boykin two years ago when he was sort of forced out there, you know, from – it was sort of an emergency deal, obviously. They, they lost who they thought was going to be a starter at the last minute due to – Stuff. And Jerome Boykin, who'd been, you know, a backup quarterback, but also guys playing, you know, some running back and some slot receiver, you know, all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, now we need you to drive this thing. You know, get out there, buddy. And then when Paul did come back, frankly, Boykin was at that point the better quarterback, even though I had once been pretty high on Paul pre-injury and pre-stuff. Um, I, I, I clearly, even I, you know, a Pahal supporter could see that clearly Javon Boykin was the better option for them. And eventually, you know, he became the full-time starter, untouched, unquestioned, unwhatevered. And uh, like I said, he's going to be one of those room divider prospects. I mean, that's going to be one of those things where, you know, brother will turn upon brother and, you know, house will be divided and whatever, because, you'll either see a guy that is a, you know, future not quarterback. You know, some people see him not be able to stay at that position. Others will see, you know, the the new, you know, NFL quarterback. He doesn't lack for arm strength. He does play in an offense that makes it simpler for him than you might prefer if you're an, if you're an NFL coach. Uh, but the guy clearly has ability. Jim, you've studied him, obviously. He's been talking about him for a couple of years. One, do you think he can continue to stay at the position? Do you think he's going to have a chance to stay a quarterback? And then two, what are the things you think he'll have to do to establish himself in the minds of NFL people as an NFL quarterback prospect as opposed to a conversion guy? Well, I mean, the, the main thing that happened over the course of from year, the year from the 2013 to 2014 was his mechanic fell a lot better, um, which yeah. was a big – it was like a big improvement in terms of his mechanics as a quarterback. And you saw that uh, on the field, you know, because in 2013, they had that quarterback by committee system, which works about as well as a running back by committee system. Um, and, you know, Paul was kind of brought in to, like, throw the football off, and they put Boykin in. And Boykin was the one that was actually winning the football games. Correct. So it, was, it was kind of funny that, they kept putting Paul in, and I'm like, you know, Boykin, it looks ugly at times, but he's using mm-hmm. his legs, was. making plays, and, you know, and he, he's doing stuff to win football games. So, 
Uh, they didn't win a lot that year, but still, you know, they, they were winning. The ones they were winning was because of him. So I was always wondering, like, okay, what are you going to do? And, of course, going into the year, there was a lot of talk that uh, I think it was Matthews, I believe, or was it some other – it was like a like a prehistoric quarterback or something that was competing with them. Um, like one of the quarterbacks about, was – you talk about, are you talking about Matt Jokel? <laughs> yeah, Jokel, yeah. When he transferred yeah, yeah. in, yeah. When he transferred right, in from, right. from A&M. Right, right. Yeah. like a drastic quarter, like that quarterback that was hyped up during high school recruiting and then he kind of fell off the map and then they're like, hey, we saw the dinosaur. But, um, you know, he was obviously, they were talking about, oh, he's going to win the job, he's going to do this, do this, and that boy can end up winning it. And, of course, it's the case for a lot. I think the biggest thing for him to do, the NFL team, is he has to prove that, he could go beyond just that sort of spready system, you know, because he was very efficient uh, with the football, didn't make as many turnovers, improved his, improved his mechanics, which is really important for him. Um, but I think if they can just – if he can show the show that they can put some more advanced passing concepts into the offense, just a few little wrinkles here and there, and he executes, and he executes uh, that offense well, uh, then I think they'll, he'll endure, endure himself you know, get NFL teams to view him as a, as a potential quarterback. But if he doesn't do that, if it stays the same offense, which is a fairly simple, you know, right. offense, uh, in terms of yeah. everything he's asked to do, uh, you know, some of the same criticisms that you would have of, like, a Baylor quarterback you could put on, you know, Boykin. Um, right. It's what I call so, a binary passing system. Is this right. Yes, then throw. No, then go. Right, and he and he runs it well, but that's the only thing I would say about Boykin is if he could if they could try to add a little few things here and there, and he, and he does the, those things well, then he might endure himself the NFL team. But there's going to be a lot of NFL teams that are going to be kind of, you know, wary on him because they're going to there might even be some that are like, well, why don't we convert you back to a wide receiver or whatever, you know, like <laughs> they might even do that, you know, because they because of whatever reason. But I think that he can if he can make those improvements. You know, in year three, uh, uh, well, it's year four, but year three, at least of his quarterback experience development, uh, then I think he definitely has a shot to be drafted as a quarterback. If he doesn't, if they take a step back, I doubt it, but if that happens, then uh, then there'll definitely be cries for him to make a position switch and or, you know, become a wide receiver again or tight end or whatever, you know. <laughs> I don't, you know. Um, I think he's a quarterback, honestly. Um, I just think that he's a quarterback that has a lot of um, – still has a few mechanical things that he's approved on. And then he also has the sort of what does he know, you know? Mm-hmm. Like what does he know offense-wise? So, and those things aren't really going to be answered until he gets into a – you know, on an NFL team. Like that. Right. And, Isaiah, I believe you were chomping in the bit regarding the rather deep wide receiver class in the Big 12 has. So a lot of really interesting and fun wide receiver prospects in that conference. I mean, it's it's a wide receiver conference. There's no getting around it. There's a lot of teams that say, throw the ball. And, they, and most them. of the teams, yeah, I was gonna say, most of the teams have two or three potential guys that might play at the next level. But, yes, go ahead. Texas A&M has a trifecta of wide receivers. Um, Speedy, I uh, forget his last name. Um, I think I just tweeted about it too. Well, there's a couple of them. 
You might have been talking uh, about steaming oil. You might have been talking about. Well, we have uh, Ricky Seals Jones. I have liked in the. Two you might have been talking about. You mean Seals about Ricky Seals Jones? Yes. Poor man, uh, Mike Evans, Washington Jackson, but. Sure. I mean, but even beyond that, beyond the obvious guys, you've got Brandon Shepard, you've got Jakeem Grant. You yep. know, there's a bunch there's a bunch of wide receivers. Uh, Josh Doxson, who not enough people talk about. Um, Cameron Looper, what's his name? I mean, that super blazing, speedy, rocket Colorado fast. State has a bunch of yeah. good wide receivers. Yes, yes. Oh, yes. But Iowa they're going to lost a quarterback. Sure. Iowa State has a legitimate pro prospect at wide receiver. There's, you can't find a Big 12 team that doesn't have at least one interesting wide receiver. Tennessee uh, has a, some good guys. Yeah, well, Big 12. They're always so, good with that. Yeah, right, Big 12. So, yes, there's a an interesting coterie of wide receivers in this conference. The Big 12 has, of course, Texas Tech has, you know, sort of a mini space guy. I mean, with Jakeem Grant, you can't do all the things you might do with, you know, a quote-unquote full-sized wide receiver. But, once again, you give him to the right offensive mind. I always bring up Sean Payton in this situation, but it's sort of an easy guy to bring up. But that is the kind of guy I'm talking about. A guy like Sean Payton would figure out something to do with a guy like Jakeem Grant. But not every offense would figure out something to do with him. There's lots of teams where he would go and just languish and, you know, return punts or whatever. Yeah, I could cut. Right, and get cut. <laughs> exactly. And and not every guy can go to every team. I mean, that's the thing we have to keep reminding ourselves. That, you know, I think we already know it, but some teams don't know how to use guys. But, yeah, go ahead, Isaiah. I figure out who they were. Speedy, Noel, and Josh Robinson. Yes. And then another Correct. pair, Corey Coleman and right. Katie Cannon. Yep. And they've got others. <laughs> they've got other receivers at Baylor. But, yes, those – yeah, right, but there's that's what the crazy thing is a lot of these teams, they're backups. I mean, there'll be enough blowouts for Baylor where you'll get a chance to see all of their receivers at some point. But they've got guys, you know, redshirt sophomores and, you know, sophomores and whatever. You're gonna do redshirt freshmen and maybe some true freshmen that you'll get a chance to see them. Good lord. But why wouldn't you go to why go to Baylor if you want to be a wide receiver? Um the only downside obviously is that as we talked about, it's very streamlined simplified, a lot of concepts are really you only have three or four concepts, and then they have variations off of them. Okay, now we're going to do it this way. Now we're going to do it that way. Now with a orbit, you know, uh, you know, sort of a built-in possible, you know, uh, you know, I mean, there's all these little things they do, mostly with movement and formation, but the concepts themselves, it's a, just a handful of them. So they're not going to. There's certain things you're not going to know. That's the only downside of coming out of a system like Baylor's is when you get, you do have a, a fairly steep learning curve in terms of oh, oh wow, you know, I got to do this on the fly. I got to figure this out. I got to read this. I got to do that. That's all new stuff to you. You know, if you'd played it, you know, Stanford or whatever, you would have these concepts would not be as new to you. You know, if you'd played at uh, Michigan, well, I'm assuming. I haven't actually seen Michigan's current playbook, but I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that it's going to be one of the more mentally demanding ones for quarterbacks and wide receivers. I'm just going to operate on that assumption unless until I'm, until I'm proven wrong. Well, um, who, is, who is simple? Who is, who is Michigan's quarterback going to be? 
Well, I don't think that's been officially announced. And we'll, I thought we, we talked about that a little bit on the Big Did you not make the Big Ten show, Isaiah? I don't think I did. Oh, okay, that was last week. But, yes, we talked a little bit about that. They have, like, eight quarterbacks on the depth chart on this college <laughs> uh, Between the guys they already had signed and about three or four different guys who transferred in, they've got a lot of – but no one's been announced, the best you're asking. I mean, former Houston quarterback John O'Corn is in the mix. Uh, they have signed – Jake last Shane Morris. Yep. Yep, exactly. A few other – a few freshman guys that came in, too, so. Yep. So there, there's a coterie, you know, a, 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 they have a menagerie. They have a quarterback preserve, in essence. You know, so lots of quarterbacks have decided to go there, you know, to be healed, basically. They've gone to the faith healer. You know, they, they've decided that they don't know if they can get well, well otherwise. Kind of. It's like going to the Salvation Army and getting a bunch of, you know, food. And, and they're like, all right, Arbaugh, make us some food out of hot dogs and Macaroni and cheese. <laughs> yes. So yeah, we talked about that on the on last week on the Big Ten show. So looking towards the Big Twelve, a lot of wide receiver talent, a mixed bag of quarterbacks, I guess is nice way to say it. Terrell Swoops was a guy with a lot of what's that word you keep running around there, I say potential. Potential. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of interesting DBs in this conference now. Yeah. Well, the quarterback position is, is one that, obviously, because so many things have been simplified, you don't have to necessarily be young Joe Montana or, or young Tom Brady or young Peyton Manning or young Drew Brees, even, um, to, to operate back there. But you do need to have a certain thing. Now, Trevon Boykin is generously listed at six foot two, <laughs> which uh, I'll be shocked if he's more – yeah, I'll be shocked if he's more than – than, if he's six feet and three quarters, he should, you know, thank his lucky stars. My guess is he's more like six feet and three-eighths or six feet and a half inch. Um, but Speaking of quarterbacks, yeah. LSU's quarterback got arrested and a bunch of other people this morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that's pretty common, but – Right. Uh, additionally, you've got Mason Rudolph, who is a very different – physically speaking kind of guy, you know, six, about six, three and seven, eight, about 222 pounds. And he has a, you know, not not a huge arm, but it's certainly an above average arm, stronger than the usual. They've had at Oklahoma State. I guess the last guy with an arm like this probably was Brandon Wheaton, but he's obviously, you know, much, much, much younger, about 10 years younger than Brandon Wheaton. But he's a guy that a lot of people are starting to get interested in. And he has, once again, it's sort of a catch and release kind of offense, but he has some, what's that word again? Potential uh, that has some people excited. Then uh, Seth Russell, who some people think it might be the most complete of all of the quarterback prospects that Baylor's produced in that he's not quite, you know, the elite athlete that Robert Griffin III was, but he's a well above average athlete. And he's, not quite as big or not quite as thickly built, I guess is better way to put it, as uh, as Bryce Petty, but he's fairly he's not as sort of spindly as some people thought Robert Griffin III was. He's a guy who's got a, a decent build on him and, you know, about twenty twenty one or so pounds and about six two and probably about six two and three eighths or so. 
And once again, very good arm. I mean, another guy who can really push the ball down the field. Shaq Linwood is going to have some fun with whoever's back there and, you know, making that whole thing go. Um, other quarterback prospects that are at least of interest in the conference, I think there's a lot of interest in whoever ends up winning the Oklahoma job, obviously. Uh, if Baker Mayfield does indeed win the job, which will be fascinating, um, Trevor Knight, Cody Thomas, and Justin Hansen are all in the mix. Um, I think Trevor Baker, Knight got that job. Well, you know, we'll see. Um, he's not listed. He's not the guy listed at the top of the depth chart right now, I'll just say that much. In their most recent time. depth chart. Right. There's lots of time. I'm just saying he's number two in their most recent depth chart. Uh, he is a guy who, once again, has the probably the best mix of athletic ability and ability to throw the football, but he also has been monstrously inconsistent uh, in his career. And instead of becoming more consistent the more he played, he seemed to become less consistent the more he played. Coaches don't like that. that. Coaches don't like that at all. Cody Thomas clearly outplayed him at points last year. And Baker Mayfield, my understanding is he came in and learned the offense, you know, in a Russell Wilson-esque, um, short amount of time. That's one thing about Baker Mayfield. He's not big, strong, whatever, but that kid has a head for the game, almost like a, since we're talking about poor men or homeless men or whatever, I guess you could say sort of like a poor man's or a homeless man's, um, um, oh, my gosh, uh, just, just had this, just, I can see him in my mind. Looks like a ball boy from um, Boise State, had a little brother who played wide receiver at Boise State, too. Um, hey, Larry. No, Boise State quarterback won fifty-one games. Oh, that guy. Yes, Baker Mayfield's a lot like him. Not quite as good, but you know, like I said, homeless, poor. Um, Moore. Is that, is that yes, guy? thank you. He's like a poor man, Kellen Moore. Yes, Baker Mayfield is that guy. He's, he's not very big, not very fast. Doesn't have much of an arm, but he can learn an offense you know, in a weekend, basically, and come in and run it better than guys who've been in your system for years, which has allowed him to, to climb, you know, up the death chart. So we'll see what happens with the question in Oklahoma. That's one that's still sort of filled with intrigue. As I mentioned, Oklahoma State is very settled at the quarterback position. Mason Rudolph is a guy that has – he's got some stuff, man. Um, he was forced by injury out there, and, you know, they, they were hoping not to use him at all last year, but you could see he just had some things they didn't have in any of their other quarterbacks. I mean, he's, like I said, a guy who can push the ball down the field and a guy that showed good mastery of their offense as well. We already touched on Boykin. Uh, there'll be questions about his height and there'll be questions about his football IQ and questions about even being a quarterback, but if you can answer those questions, I can see him being drafted somewhere in the, you know, somewhere between the third to fifth and maybe better if he has a great, great year. Uh, we touched on Mr. Swoops, who once again, that P word popped up again. Uh, you know, he, this has got to be it for him. I mean, he needs to start showing something because he's being pushed by, by a true freshman, Gerard Hurd, who is a little smaller, you know, not quite as well put together as Swoops, but even faster and quicker, a really electric runner. And a guy can throw the ball, you know, a decent amount. Uh, speaking of throwing the ball, because about Texas Tech, of course, it's where they throw the ball, you know, as much as you're allowed to basically throw the ball. And Davis Webb, who, you know, I at one point assumed was going to eventually 
inherit the job has been pushed down the depth chart by Patrick Mahomes. Now we'll see if that holds up, but you know Mahomes has come up and and shown poise and understanding the offense, and that's really what you need. They don't you know they need to be a great athlete or a guy with a huge arm. And so Davis Webb, you know, played most of last year, and and you know Mahomes is a true freshman, showed enough to, like I said, at least early on, be come out of spring listed as number one in the depth chart. Um, once again, I have trouble remembering sometimes that West Virginia's in the conference. Um, they have Skylar Howard currently listed top of the depth chart at quarterback. And similar to what we just talked about Texas Tech, basically everything you just said about Texas Tech is true about West Virginia's offense. As a quarterback, you just need to, you know, get the ball out of your hands as quickly as possible in the hands of a bunch of really quick guys. He's fairly raw, but Holgerson seems to really like the kid and thinks he has lots of, you guessed it, potential. And we'll see what happens with that. But West Virginia needs to show up and start winning games on the road. Uh, they are a beast at home, but they're, you know, pretty tame for the most part on the road. So getting back to sort of some of the things that need to happen. You made mention of some of the emerging, I like to talk about emerging players. You named some of them already, Jim. Hassan Ridgeway is one of those guys that I have my eye on to go from, you know, a guy that was sort of a backup rotational guy to a guy that's likely to really announce himself on the national football stage. And, you know, obviously, when we talk about TCU, um, they're going to have to find a running back. Now, Aaron Green might be that guy. He's like a lot of the other TC running backs that we've seen in the past. He's, you know, probably about 5'10 and a quarter, about 22 pounds and fairly quick. But if he can show that he can, one, you know, catch the ball a little bit, get a few more yards after contact than he has in the past and things like that, he could emerge. And I'm probably going to butcher this name, but sticking with TCU, um, they have Halapula Vatai, Vatai. Um, I think that's about, I think that's something like that. Um, he's another guy that I think might be either kick inside or, or switch to the other side from uh, from the left side, but I think he has a chance to possibly play at the next level. Um, Josh Doxson is sort of a, um, almost he's a poor man's Devin Street, but he's sort of a, because he's not, that kind of receiver, but he's more like a, I guess, Austin, faster Austin Pettis kind of receiver. I thought you know, Cannon Doss kind of. There we go. Austin yeah. yeah, Cannon Doss isn't a terrible comparison, though I don't know if he's as fast as Doss even. I guess we'll find out. They do have some speed guys, though. He's not one of them, but they got some guys who can flat out fly. Uh, Kobe Listenby is stupid fast, and that kid. Uh, the hyphenated kid, something Looper, Cameron Looper, whatever. He's they have two track guys. I mean, legitimate track guys. Like one things like triple jump or long jump or 200 meters or whatever in the Big 12 fast kind of people, blazing, blazing fast. And that's the other thing that says, you know, that clearly they've prioritized in the last few years at TCU is they have gone after speed and they have they have it. <laughs> they've gone after it and they have it. Uh, they'll need to find a pass rusher. You know, as we, we always say that about certain teams. I mean, TCU in the past has always had somebody who was going to 
scare you in terms of game planning for them on defense as a pass rusher. I'm not so sure they have that guy. I mean, they may have that guy somewhere on the roster. I might just not know, know who he is yet. But certainly in the past, they've had that guy. Um, they have, I think this is looking at my local, I think it's George, my local's little brother. I think that's, I mean, I'm assuming, I'm trying, I think that's who that is. The Aloka they have in their um, in their secondary, I believe, is George Iloka's little brother. Uh, they do play with five defensive backs on the field all the time. So they have essentially three safeties. And one of those safeties, like I said, is, is Kenny Iloka, and I think that's George Iloka's little brother. And he's not quite as big as George, but he's a good-sized safety. And he's going to slide over sort of into the Hackett uh, position. Um, then they'll sort of need some guys to emerge. But the good news is that they've, like I said, done a lot of recruiting on defense. I think that we might see James McFarland maybe emerge as one of their better pass rushers or, or Terrell Lathan. Am not wild? Mc... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, no, is, I mean, uh, James McFarland. McFarland uh, related to Anthony McFarland from the old no, Bucks no, team? No, no, those those two are not related. But um, like I said, I believe George Aloka's little brother is Kenny. The um, the things that, like I said, they'll need to have happen is they'll need to have someone, Eccles Looper, that's the kid's name, Eccles Looper, not Cameron, or maybe Cameron's his first name. I think it's Cameron Eccles Looper. So they have two of the fastest guys in all of college football, in Corey Liston, Kobe Liston being. Cameron Eccles Looper and Eccles Looper's primarily return guy, but he may see a few more snaps to receive it. Um, going down some of the other things that I'm expecting to see in that in that team emerge. So they're going to probably want, like I said, at least one of those running backs to really establish himself. They're going to replace a couple of linebackers. Mike Freeze is supposedly one of the guys they're excited about, just a true freshman. And um, then we'll see, you know, what sort of happens to those other positions. Uh, they need also to get some better play out of their corners. Uh, though they usually have been known as a, you know, really is that, I mean, well-coached team with a former linebacker coach as their head coach, and they tend to play some of the better, at least for the Big 12, on the better defenses in the conference. Uh, the Big 12 is not a super defense-heavy conference, but the Big 12's best defense traditionally more years than not is TCU, and they'll need to get back to that if they are going to be a, a true national championship contender. Um, jumping from there to sort of the, the heights to the low, uh, obviously Kansas is being coached now by David Beatty, so they no longer have sort of the sexy big-name you know, coach. Uh, Rob Likens is the current offensive coordinator. Clint Bowen and Kenny Perry are co-defensive coordinators, and They've all got their work cut out for them. Um, but the good news is that this coach is has a different mindset. He's a, a grinder. He's going to just roll his, you know, his shirt sleeves up and just work. You won't be hearing a whole lot of pronouncements from him. You won't be hearing a whole lot of bluster or whatever. So that's, you know, I'm not – I think that it's going to take a while. It's a long-term – you know, this is not a um, – drywall and paint deal. This is a tear it down to the foundation and rebuild. And I hope they give this guy literally about five years to show what he can do because you can't judge anyone fairly at all at a program like Kansas without giving it about five years. The good news is that Turner Gill, um, 
did a really good job of upgrading the talent and then didn't get a chance to coach it, unfortunately. Um, and then Charlie Weiss came in and sort of ran that into the ground. But whatever. There's still a few guys left. Not many, but a few of the, a few of the sort of fifth-year seniors and some of those guys are left over from, from the work that uh, was done by Gil. They have an interesting player, Skylar Miles, who's likely to try to play the mic this year. If you can stay healthy, which is a big if. He's been injured more often than not. Um, I kind of like Andrew Bolton. Jim, have you noticed him at all? The defensive tackle at Kansas? James? Jim? Oh, uh, what was the question? <laughs> uh, Andrew Bolton, defensive tackle, Kansas. Oh. That guy? Really? <laughs> I think I, I, I loved him. I said I liked him. Okay. I mean, there's um, stuff that I guess. He's the Kansas. best defensive. Yeah, that. Uh, Kansas, I, I, to be honest with you, I don't, other than Johnson, who's kind of like a DB safety sort of nickel guy, mm-hmm. um, that's about it. All the guys that were sort of good are gone. They they got a lot of them, yeah. They're gone, um, and now it's uh, they're Kansas again. Well, they were they were more so Kansas. I mean, they they've been Kansas for a while. Now they're yeah. really Kansas. <laughs> oh, okay. So now they're really Kansas. Um, now that Bolden guy, yeah, he's, he's shown a few things here and there, but um, yeah, I I don't have anything good to say. He, he's right. okay, but um, I don't see him. Uh, it's kind of like identifying what refugees you'd like to take out of the camp, you know. <laughs> oh, take, take that guy. Take that guy. He doesn't look as uh, as uh, thick. Thickly, have... right. Yeah, yeah. Excuse me, I'm not listening. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, yeah, isn't no, suffering I... from malnutrition and stuff like that. Right. Right, I was. That's what I was saying. Is I think I'm not saying he's a an amazing prospect. I'm just saying that looking at Kansas defensive prospects, that's one of the people that did catch my eye. And you know, I, I made a couple of notes on him last year, and I'll be watching him this year to see if I mean Kansas an unusually high number of guys drafted for Kansas. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't think that as you said, I don't think that will continue. As you as you mentioned, the Turner Gill. Guys are almost out of there. There's a few fifth-year seniors, but most of the other Turner, most of the other Turnerville guys are gone. And you know, despite all of the schematic advantage stuff that uh, Charlie Weiss talked about, he did not do a great job of stocking the larder with talent. Well, the offense was it sucked. It was terrible. You know, yeah, Charlie Weiss is supposed to be this this offensive coordinator guy and. What offense was he coordinating? There was no offense. <laughs> it, I agree. It was not pretty. Pinned all, their it hopes was... on, um, pinned all their hopes on that one guy, and then he deserted them, you know? Left in the night. I forgot his name. You uh, talking about he... Jake Heaps? Yeah. That guy. <laughs> he had all his hopes on Jake Heaps, and then uh, he abandoned him. He decided him, to go you know? 
Like, he's had to go back up Brad Kaya. Like, bye-bye. See you later. I'm not, I'm tired of Kansas. Of course, he's always been a traveling guy. But, yeah, I mean, they tried to do that. They tried to get some wide receivers from small school places and uh, didn't work out as well as they thought, mainly because getting a good small school guy is great, but that doesn't change the talent at the other positions. So, um, obviously, you know, James uh, Sims was a pretty good running back there, and, and he was gone in 13, and I don't know where he is now. I think he's on the Packers practice squad or something like that. But um, it's Kansas, so I, I really don't know what to say. All the guys, I mean, Corey Shepard's gone. Dexter McDonald's gone. Ben Henney's yeah. gone. Um, yeah. Cassius Sendish, who was kind of okay, he's gone. Yes. So. Yes. Yes, you are correct. The the cupboard is not entirely bare, but there's not a lot left in it. The uh, the news, yes, right. The news is slightly better at Iowa State, uh, where one they have been wise in not firing Paul Rose, even though he's twenty nine and forty six going into year six. You can see that this program is in better shape. Yeah, I know. But the program is in better shape than when he found it. Just if you haven't been watching Iowa State football for a while, let me assure you that the program's in better shape than when he found it. Uh, it's another program that has always fought and struggled. I mean, if there was a team that wanted to leave this conference and go into the Big Ten, the one that makes sense is Iowa State, but whatever, no one listens to me. Um, Nebraska, eh, whatever. But uh, this, is the conference, this is the team that would make sense. You know, if, you know if, that way they, they and Iowa would be in the same conference, and their recruiting base is more Big Ten-ish than it is Big 12-ish. So they try to pick up. third- and fourth-year kids from Texas, but then so does everybody, you know? <laughs> so, I mean, I guess they have their reasons for hanging hanging out in the Big 12, but it's just going to be so hard for them to ever really compete. And for them, the goal really is bowl eligibility. They don't even really make noise about winning the conference or even winning the North. They, they always talk about bowl eligibility, which is wise. Uh, that's where you should put, you know, your eggs is in the idea of being bowl eligible. And they have, like I said, some guys. I mean, it's not, they're not empty. Um, I, I do like Quentin Bundridge. Uh, they have a young kid, or fairly young kid, and Alan uh, Lazard, who's sort of your uh, crafty-ish guy, you know, more of a, you know, work his way into a, a dead space and, you know, catch a curl kind of dude. Uh They've got to figure out their offensive line. They have Sam Richardson back, and he, you know, was again kind of wildly inconsistent. But when he gets, I don't know, it's confidence. I don't know what it is, but sometimes when you see him get on a bit of a roll, he can be a dangerous dude to a certain extent. Runs a little bit, throw a little bit. Um, they have one offensive lineman. I'm not him super excited, but I do kind of like their center. Jamison Locke, have you looked him at him at all at, uh, so far, Jim? James? At center? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I haven't actually taken a look at the offensive line. So. He's, he's shocking. Locke, Locke is worth taking a look at. He's probably never going to be a full-time starter at, you know, virtually any level of football except, you know, some lower level. But he's a guy that I think – 
can probably play a little bit of guard in the right kind of system, you know, typically like a zone blocking scheme. Not a super powerful guy, but smart, fairly mobile. We've got some problems on defense. Um, we do have, as you, as you mentioned, Tribune, and I kind of like his partner, Sam Richardson. And then after that, there's not a lot to like. Uh, but, yeah, anybody else that I might not have mentioned Iowa State that has caught your attention, Jim? Uh, no, I'd about wrap it up. Okay. Uh, Tribune is a guy that uh, Ivy is kind of a nickel sort of guy, but I think he's pretty solid overall tackler. Plays the ball fairly well. I think uh, I think he has the potential to be a top 10 cornerback, a top 12 corner, not at the NFL level, but just in terms of draft status, he might be the 12th or the – somewhere like the 10th or the 12th cornerback taken, I think. Okay. Everything kind of goes well. Uh, But overall, I think he's pretty solid overall. Right. And the other other guy, T.J. Mutcherson, another sort of DB sort of guy that kind of does this stuff. What did you like about Mutcherson? Pretty good tackler. Ah, uh, yeah, you know, the lost of, art of tackling. You know, I mean, sort of a safety. I mean, he's. I mean, it really plays a sort of position where he just kind of covers one sort of area, and that's it. Um, but, you know, it, if you're a team that, like, values that highly, a guy that can get guys on the ground fairly well, then, you know, you see him as kind of a guy that you wouldn't mind getting as an undrafted free agent or something like that. Okay, so one of the things that uh, they'll need, obviously, is to develop a little bit of a little bit of depth, and they'll need, you know, which is always a challenge. And they'll, and what they also might need, and what they also might need, you know, is uh, to get to get a little bit lucky, <laughs> to, to some extent. So let me just take a quick look at, uh, well, obviously staying within the same state, but a much different program situation is Kansas State, where where they have a chance to compete, at least in their half of the, half of the conference, then they've got to plug some holes as well. So who are some of the guys that stand out to you amongst the, uh, amongst the Wildcats, Jim? Uh, they have the cornerback. I believe his name is. You know his name? He's a kind of tall-ish, sort of. Oh, Daniel McDaniel. Oh right, yes, yes, I remember. Um, I actually was with Jeff Risden and um, Justin Higdon. We watched. Again, the state came together and we talked about him. Uh, he's a JC kid, and yeah, he's a big kid, but he's definitely got some rawness in his game. Well, stiffish, definitely. Um, yeah, that's also true. And uh, kind of, he's. Uh, I mean, in terms of the quarterback they have there, he's one of the guys I think a lot of teams might like because of uh, his height. 
So, you know, like that's totally hurts. I'll bring him up 100%. Um, why receiver-wise, you know, obviously Lockett's gone. Sexton yeah. was a senior, too, I believe. Um, that was your best yeah. player they've recruited in a while. Uh, who? Lockett. Oh. Hey, well, guys, I'm going to... Yes. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say I'll be right... I'll tell you guys right back. I got to go for a moment. Sure, that's fine. Uh, continue, Jim. Okay. Uh, Jake Waters is gone, too. Yeah. So, he's the guy that left... Uh, had a great release. That was about it. So... <laughs> you know, that's the uh, that's only thing. Uh, uh, what else do they have here? Uh, Brian Mueller's gone too, I think. I believe. Yes, he's I'll gone. A second. Yeah, yes. Yeah, he's gone. I'm trying to think of anybody else I can remember. Randall Evans is gone. Yeah, he's gone too. Gets drafted by the Eagles. The Eagles. And anybody. Yeah, that's about it. Not a ton of guys, honestly. <laughs> um, right. Well, BJ Finney also. Right yeah. Yeah. yeah, BJ Finney, too. He's gone. Uh, the yes. um, did he get drafted? I think he got drafted. Uh, yes. Yes, he did. Yeah, okay. Yeah, he got drafted. So, um, yeah. yeah, so the, the guys that, as you mentioned, you already mentioned Dan Morgan Burns is another guy back there in their secondary. I think their secondary might be a very good one, actually. They might have as many as three guys who have a shot to be drafted. You mentioned McDaniel, uh, Morgan Burns, the guy who has a shot, and the other, and they have a safety, Dante Barnett, that uh, has caught my eye a bit as well. And once again, coaching matters. You know, they have, they have good coaches. Uh, obviously, Bill Snyder, when you're playing in a stadium that's named after you, that tells you something about the quality of the coach. Uh, their offensive coordinators are. Dana Demel and, and Del Miller, and the defensive coordinator, who is a, a terrific defensive coordinator, is Tom Hayes. And Tom Hayes is one of those guys that knows how to get the best out of his guys, and that will likely continue. Oh, I believe, ladies and gentlemen, we may have been joined by the one, the only Mr. Steve Morton. Is that you, Steve? Yes, it is. I've got about an hour and a half, so yeah. I thought i uh, uh, that's, good, yeah. that's good stuff. Well, we're, we're going to the Big 12. We made our way to Kansas State. Um, almost every year you look at Kansas State and you think, eh, you know, um, they rarely have a roster that makes you just sit up and say, well, these guys are going to be difficult to beat. But somehow they, you know, fight and scratch and claw and end up with, you know, once again, nine or ten victories. It seems like almost every year somehow. Well, they find, they find a pocket-sized running back. You know, that running back that everybody ignored and they're like, you're too short, you're too this, you're too that. And then the coach goes, he reminds them of that. Yeah, they thought you were too short. They thought you were too that. And then, you know, he ends up putting 200 burgers on people. And they also find a 5'9 wide receiver that nobody wanted because they were 5'9. Yep. <laughs> yes. And they rake in all that that um, JUCO talent that washes up on the shores of Kansas, well, you know, on my shores, but uh, <laughs> plains, I guess, of, of Kansas. 
And it's like, those kids come from all over the place. So in a weird way, they're kind of a national recruiter in that the kids who go to all these various and sundry Kansas junior colleges are from, you know, Texas, California, New Jersey, wherever, you know, from all over the place who end up having to go to junior college about either for academic or, or, or for some reason they're late bloomers and, and feel like they'll have a better chance at a D1 shot after a year or two of seasoning. And so they get a chance to sort of re-recruit kids they could never recruit in the first place under no circumstances. But now these kids, the Zuko kids, it sort of reopens the whole world to them. And a lot of these guys are at Fort Scott and Dodge or uh, uh, Coffeeville. Yep. And I'm still forgetting, but that Jayhawk conference is a murderer's row of junior college football. It's just nuts, you know when you look at how many good junior college programs are you, you know, no place, otherwise sort of nowheresville uh, places in um, in Kansas, you know, uh, Mettenberger. And, I mean, you know, it's just, just a list of guys, like I said, you never would have, you know, had a shot at otherwise. You've got at least a shot at these guys because they're, they're now in your state for junior, junior college. So that's the thing that helps them is they are one of the most aggressive, organized, and effective recruiters of junior college talent, once again, at least in part, because they're in Kansas. It's a very regional thing, you know, junior colleges. You've got Mississippi with a lot of good junior college football. You've got California, Texas, and Kansas. And then most other states don't have great junior college football. We've got some a little bit here in Illinois and, I mean, but Florida. I mean, it's so odd, but as good as Florida is for football, there's not a lot of great junior college programs in Florida. It's sort of weird when you think about it. And you would think they'd be, uh, you know, just a super hotbed of junior college well, football. Well, that's because they're that's because they're playing college, you know. I guess that's what it is. I guess that's what it is. <laughs> I guess there's somewhere oh, else, you know. There's some some team from California or some team from you know, Canada or something is like, we have to get the Florida players. They got the speed. <laughs> that could be it. Uh, a couple more guys I want to mention at Kansas State. They always find a couple of linebackers that you may not have heard of, but they are better than you thought they'd be. And I won't be surprised if that happens again this year. Um, and they also are now playing sort of a, I don't know what you, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, sort of a, you know, spread defense, defense. I mean, so they have a, you know, nickel linebacker, whatever you want to call him. So they have that uh, that guy, that whatever backer mm-hmm. he is, uh, spur, whatever you want to call him. Don't be surprised if Nate Jackson ends up being better than most people think he might be. I'm hearing the staff really likes him, and they're going to give him a lot of stuff to do. Um, so that's, that's something that will – be worth watching. They did lose both Jonathan Truman and Elijah Lee, who were sort of the leaders back there, so they've got to develop some new ones. But, like I said, the good news is they really know the coach linebackers there. Uh, Will Davis, Elijah Lee, Nate Jackson, and um, I don't know, there's probably someone else I'm forgetting. But those um, those guys are going to, to probably take a big step up. Um, the last thing I want to mention is Travis Britz. Have you had a chance to check him out, Jim? Be tackle at uh, Kansas State. Travis. 
Oh, Brits. B-R-I-T-Z. Brits, oh, yes. Uh, no, I haven't seen him. Put him on your list. Um, I think he's worth worth your attention and time. I mentioned briefly, you know, that Texas Tech is one of those sort of the the names change, but the players seem to somehow be the same guy here in Europe. Um, oh, hey, walk on or very lightly recruited quarterbacks running for five thousand yards. You almost don't know which one it is, but they've got one of those. It seems like almost every year, and. Developing and emerging, um, like I said, Patrick Mahomes is apparently going to be the guy over Davis Webb, uh, and we'll see. I mean, that's going to be very important to them. That'd be, that'd that. be sad. Because the guy you, you forced Baker Mayfield out is is now losing his job. <laughs> and thus, the World League of Time doth bring in its revenges. And if Baker Mayfield doesn't have to start at Oklahoma, how wacky would that be, right? A guy who walks on at Texas Tech gets pushed out yeah. <laughs> there. Well, he got injured then, all the time. His knee. He kept hurting right. his knee. And then Webb was the one who, you know, the, I think it was the LSU game where Webb threw that yep. touchdown pass to win it. And yep. uh, I never liked Davis Webb, though, because he always reminded me of, like, some jerk high school kid, you know, um, that was like – I. Just in turn, and he and he always was like really tight. Like even today, I mean, that was the one thing I, I didn't realize until later was that he was like 17 years old when he started. You know. Yep. Very young. Uh, at so he he can't even he's not even legal drinking age. Well, I mean, Texas so I mean, legal drinking age is even higher. But um, you know, at least on on some of the books. But uh, I. If, if he gets pushed out, I mean, and obviously the turnovers are the biggest thing with Webb that I had issues with during the second year. And just consistency and just, you know, I don't know, just being uh, better, you know. <laughs> like, just be better. He just never really did that. So, I mean, if he, if he loses to Mahomes, I mean, that, I don't, you know, I, I haven't actually seen what he brings to the table, but uh, that'll be, it'll be interesting to see what they do. You know, and I do like uh, their coach stylistically. You know, Coach yeah. Kingsbury is a very good-looking coach. He's not necessarily. Yeah. yeah, not necessarily. Uh, <laughs> doesn't have the record with it, but like no, you know, no, this is yet. a guy that if he just were to show his photo to somebody, he'd be like, "This is our head coach." They'd be like, "All right, yeah, you know, why not?" <laughs> yes. He yeah. looks stylish. Only... He looks hip. Yes, yes. Coach Handsome, as Donovan um, has called him. But, yes, um, you know, the Ryan Gosling of um, of the SDS. But, as you pointed out, uh, for all of that, he has thus far a record at the school of 12 and 13. So, yep. this is a watershed year, quite frankly, for Cliff Kingsbury. You know, offensive wizard, former record-setting quarterback himself, blah, blah, blah. That offense is going to need to win a bunch of shootouts. In fact, that's how they're going to win any game that they win, <laughs> most likely. Now, they did bring in some help in terms of defense. I mean, David Gibbs, not so much players, but coaching. 
Uh, David Gibbs is a very highly respected coordinator, and he needs to, you know, get some people straightened out quick, fast, and in a hurry because this is a conference where somebody might hang half a hundred on you. Practically every week somebody might hang half a hundred on you if you don't do some things right. As I mentioned, the most interesting or exciting player on the whole roster is Shaquem Brandt, and he's, you know, 5'4 and change. So there are some questions about what he can and can't be at the next level, but he's an exciting dude to watch. Well, keep in mind, I mean, when – when not Shaquem, but when Texas Tech was winning, uh, they were – they had Jason tomorrow as their sort of giant, oversized wide receiver sort of chess piece, if you will. Um mm-hmm. Now they don't have that guy. Uh-uh. They have a lot of little guys. Steve Grant obviously does his thing, and Marquez, I know he's going to be a – well, he already graduated, so he's gone. Uh, but they, they need to get some uh, some size, something, you know, just some some sort of oversized – something that's six foot five and 250 pounds, you know. I don't think they have oh. that. <laughs> I was going to say, I have some bad news then. If that's what you're, I don't think that guy is just described as about to walk through the door. Uh, yeah, so no, that that they don't have. Um, if they have that person, they've done a good job of hiding him. Uh, he must be a very secret, secret weapon. But uh, what they do have is they have some quick dudes. Uh, all of their wide receivers are dudes who can scoot a little bit. Uh, even if they aren't blazing fasteners and long speed, they're all very quick. Guys who know how to get open and and get upfield. And that's really what their offense sort of based around. You know, uh, go four and five wide and get the ball out of your hands very quickly and let your playmakers make a play and hopefully break a tackle or shake a guy and now you've got something. And if that doesn't happen, they don't really have an offense. Uh, there's not much else going on, quite frankly, if that isn't happening. Uh, the running back position is, is ably, fairly ably manned by DeAndre Washington, who managed to produce over 1,000 yards, in fact, over 1,100 yards last year, which, you know, actually is pretty, pretty impressive. Uh, I'm not suggesting they're going to become a quote-unquote running team because that's never going to happen, but I think they've realized that they have in DeAndre Washington. They might, you know I mean? I'm not saying he's going to have 2,000 yards because he's not. Maybe it's not even at 1,500, but he might have 1,400 or 1,300. And like I said, balance helps even when you're – you, something like balance helps even when you're Texas Tech. But the, the question also is defense. Can they run the ball enough to sort of help their defense out a little bit as well? Their defense has not been great in the past. I think I'm, I'm pretty uh, – Never been being kind, Yeah, being kind of sort of saying that. I mean, um, they have 2013, it was pretty – I mean, 2013, Terry Hyder Jr. was their yeah. main guy, but he was yep. the guy that could be moved. As and they, they, are not, they are not in the conference that they actually have the talent to win uh, offensive shootout. I mean, everybody yeah, in the Big 12 can score. Well, yes. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> you are correct, sir. I would say – if you have a bad day at the office on defense, he's going to score about 40 points on you. So, yes, you need to be careful at all times. There's not and a team out there that's They're, I mean, honestly, their offense is in the Big 12. But if you held them to 40, it was a good day. Yes, there are some. Yes, I would agree. 
you hold Baylor to 40, you're like, yeah, we held Baylor to 40 because they scored 70 on us last year. Woohoo! <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I agree more. It is, I mean, it's gotten a, a, a reputation, but the reputation is something that well earned. It's not like people are making this stuff up. It is, it is a shootout waiting to happen almost every week. Somewhere, somewhere in the Big 12, every week somebody's going to combine for over 110 points. Every week somebody's, you know, combined score is going to be in the 110 to 120-something range. Uh, other things that need to go right for Cliff Kingsbury, one, for him to continue, you know, looking good and all that good stuff and being employed. Uh, in addition to, okay, LaRaven Clark is probably the key to some extent to their, their offense. Uh, he's probably maybe the, I mean, he's not the most exciting player on their offense, but he's probably the most important player on their offense. If he becomes a elite level, you know, pass defender and, you know, obviously, you know, run, obviously run the ball more. I think they might run the ball even more than they did in the past. Uh, that will help the team be successful. And as I said, DeAndre Washington had a really good year, and he might have been a better year. If their quarterback play improves as well, let's see. You said you don't see them winning a bunch of games. Well, let's see. Um, Central Arkansas uh, was, oh, sorry, that was last year. Uh, the open was Sam Houston State this year. That should be a win. UTEP, again, that should be a win. Arkansas, Ooh, okay, TCU, oh, <laughs> Baylor, ah, okay, Iowa State, possible win, Kansas, that should be a win, Oklahoma, nah, nah, nah. Oklahoma State, uh, push, but most likely not, uh, West Virginia. I actually think Oklahoma State's going to be pretty good. Yeah, that's right, Oklahoma State's going to be pretty good, too, oh, boy. Okay, so things, this could be rough. <laughs> this might be <laughs> this could be, this, things could get rough. So let's see, I see Ooh. Yeah, see, they can't. He can't afford to go four and eight again. That would be it. Uh, I think, despite the handsomeness and everything else, I think people would be done with back-to-back four and eight seasons. I mean, Sonny Dykes or whoever you want to mention, you know, they was doing better than that without all the extra money that they I, paid. I think seven, seven wins, and he's safe. And I yeah, think that's possible. I would possible. agree. But those are going to be some battles. Man. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Three or four of those games is gonna be like all hands on deck you know, type type games where they just are down to the wire sort of slug fest. I mean, 'cause they're not gonna I mean, Arkansas I, I that's a lot to me. So Yeah, I know. I know. They're they're likely to get pushed around. So to me the key is defense. Here's the guys that I think have a chance to to step up. They have an interesting transfer from Ohio State, who was a former five star kid named Mike Mitchell. And if he can help them, you know, back there at outside linebacker, you know, so if he can become one of their better, probably their best linebackers, and if corner Nigel Bethel, who's just a sophomore but one of the more talented guys back there, and Keenan Ward probably sort of considered the leader. He and J.J. Gaines, the two uh, safeties, are sort of the leaders back there. But those guys play really well. Like I said, Bethel takes a giant step forward, which everyone's been raving about how he's looked in, in spring. If Mike Mitchell, the kid from, everyone's talking about it from Ohio State, 
comes in and, and plays really well. They need at least one of their senior uh, defensive ends to end up being, you know, the guy as a pass rusher. I guess given what, I, what I've seen thus far, I think Pete Robertson is a guy that has a chance to be really good. Uh, and then they need to figure out <laughs> somebody needs to emerge also at the interior of their defense. They do have Rika Levy and, and Keelan McElrath. And I'll be honest, neither of those guys have impressed me thus far. So somebody, one of those guys, uh, not both, needs to, to take a big jump up uh, so that they won't – so Arkansas won't run for like 350 yards of just pure running right up your gut, you know, all day long. Four fifty. Five hundred. Five hundred yards. That can happen. You can just be run on and run on and run on. And it's, as T- everyone says, T- and it's true. run for 500 himself on them. Yeah, that's the. There's nothing quite so demoralizing as not being able to stop the run. I mean, we, we all talk about the throwing game, and because it's sort of the thing everybody does. But my gosh, if you just run the ball down someone's throat, it just takes everything out of you. It affects your offense, it affects your defense. Your offense can't get back on the field, and they get cold and bored, and your defense just gets smashed. So, yeah. yeah, That's a tough way to go, man. It's no fun playing Arkansas, and it'll be less fun, I think, this year than it was last year. Uh, A couple of guys to touch on before we move on. So, they need to find also that that other guy at wide receiver to take, you know, some of the pressure off of uh, Grant. It might be Devin Lauderdale, who I keep hearing is you know, the guy with the, probably the best long speed of all their guys uh, might be Reginald Davis. Heck, it might be Ian Sadler. Uh, but one of those guys, one of the above. Oh, you're asking about big bodies? This kid, Cameron Batson, has some, has some size. And um, Cantrell is sort of skinny, but I think he's probably in the six one and a half ish kind of range. The other guys are kind of midget-ish-ish. Oh, the other guys are kind of kind of tiny. Um, moving on to West Virginia, uh, the fighting Dana Holgersons. And once again, it's one of those programs where they play a lot of exciting football. Um, you know, win, win, lose, or draw, you're not going to be bored by many West Virginia games. Uh, they had a subpar, at least for West Virginia, year on offense in 2013, and bounced back. Uh, they averaged almost 500 yards a game last year, but obviously yes, Clint Trickett <laughs> Yes. Um, but Clint Trickett isn't coming through that door, at least not anymore. Um, Kevin White also not coming through that door unless he's just visiting. And Mary Alford. Mary Alford also has exhausted his, uh, his eligibility. So um, this is a big year for the, like, the former junior college transfer, Skylar Howard, and a big year for his coach, Dana Holgerson, uh, who is sort of, I mean, he, he is he is not just the de facto offensive coordinator. He's one of the head coaches who's actually the titular offensive coordinator. So he's going to have, you know, his hands intricately all over uh, that whole quarterback situation, and he needs to take a giant step up. If he stumbles, if he isn't what they think he is, there's a freshman, I think a true freshman, William Crest, sort of waiting in the breach. 
and they have, you know, the former Wunderkind, and obviously if Donovan was here, you could wax about him. David Sills, who at one point had signed to USC at the age of 14 or something, or 12 or 13, whatever crazy age he was. Uh, might have been 12, but back in the Kiffin era. Uh, but the point is that they've got to you, – you can't get by with okay quarterback play. They need to have excellent quarterback play for this team to have any shot to do anything. Uh, and they do have an exciting running back, Russell Shell. Uh, he didn't quite have the year a lot of people were expecting, but he needs to have it this year for two reasons. One is he's a junior, which in, which tra- in running back means senior. So he needs to have a big year because it's likely going to be his last year to show what he can do. And he only had 788 yards last year, but he also was battling a calf and a uh, an ankle injury at various points. So he'll need to try to stay healthy as well. Whew, defense. And it's running back by committee, too. Oh, well, so. <laughs> I know what a fan you are of that. But some of that was due to his injury woes, I believe. I believe that was some. Uh, like you, you can see, uh, okay, this thing to cost them the other year, so. Well, yeah, okay, I know what you're saying. But the point I, the point is that he, if he's 100% healthy this year, I think you'll see more of him. I don't think yeah. he'll end up with 700 some odd yards. Yeah, Jamie Smith is gone and um, well, Smallwood's still there, I think? Smallwood is still there, but okay. he's on the depth chart as wide, as, a, as a wide receiver this year, so we'll see, let's, oh. we'll see what that's about. We'll see what that's about. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, with a Smallwood, that's on the depth chart at a receiver. So we'll see what happens with that. Sometimes they're just messing around, you know. <laughs> Sometimes they want to see what the guy can do at the other position. Okay, so defense. Uh. Carl, Carl Joseph, right? Yeah, well, Carl Joseph obviously is the, the man on defense. And a lot of people were shocked when he didn't declare. Uh, there's that interesting guy at Spur, the sort of linebacker safety hybrid position uh, in K.J. Dillon. Hello? Oh, yes. Who are some of the guys you like? Jim, or don't like, oh. I guess. Who are some? Yeah, <laughs> uh, going through the don't, guys at Western. Who are, who are the guys that have caught? Okay. Who are the guys that have caught your attention? <clears throat> uh, like you said, Carl Carl Joseph is a guy that uh, I like at safety, sort of a strong safety sort of position. Um, Nick Kwiatkowski, uh, I think, from a linebacker. He's kind of a Oh, Quaid. Yeah, Kwiatkowski. And he is an interesting guy. I agree. He's their Sam backer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that he could possibly do some stuff. Uh, Rochelle Shell, he's, uh, like you said, a running back. I think it'll be interesting to see where he kind of goes. If Small was going to be doing wide receiver. Is this the fi- is this going to be the year that they have a, a one running back by committee system? We'll find out. Uh, and then, of course, uh, at quarterback, I'll be interested to see where they go with, with uh, Clint Trickett gone. Um, <clears throat> Clint Trickett, of course, was the guy that going into last year, he was best known for his ability to take a beating and keep getting back up. So uh, it's kind of good that he had his moment to shine for a little bit. <laughs> you know, uh, 
other guys, pass rusher wise, Shaq Riddick obviously is in the NFL now. Um, that's really about it, though, Bill. I mean, wide receiver, they all left, so unless there's going to be some guys coming up this year that kind of merge. But overall, I mean, that, that's, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, I'm going to give you a name. Watch out for Dakil Shorts. Okay. I think he might be the, the sort of deep threat amongst the guys. And they, they're going to have wide receivers at West Virginia, and they're never going to run out completely. Obviously, you don't get guys like Kevin White every year. That's you know, sort of an anomaly. But they're, they'll have some guys. Mm-hmm. I suspect Holgerson will figure out a way to score. <laughs> I feel safe in agreeing with you there, Steve. They'll figure out some things. Uh, to me, the more interesting thing, like I said, is their defense. Uh, Javon Henry and Carl Joseph are a really interesting tandem back there. Uh, Joseph being, of course, the senior partner, and the buzz has been the young guy, Javon Henry, just a sophomore, but that's a guy that people, a lot of people are talking about as a future NFL guy as well. Yes, they're one of, they're one of the few teams in college football, maybe anywhere, with two good safeties. I mean, they, yeah. both, those guys, both those guys can play. Now, the seven, the eight or other nine people that are on the field with them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... That's kind of been the issue. Yeah, that's kind of the problem. So, and again, in the Big 12, it's hard. You, you've got to work to run up on a team that, you know, can't light you up if you can't at least just slow them down. Right. And that brings us to Texas, where they have gotten rid of a whole lot of stuff. Uh, yep. Mm-hmm. They, they, they got uh, they rid got of the cookies. They got rid of the the blanket. They got rid of the, the foot massagers. You know, right. they got rid of uh, their, they got rid of everything that is soft, uh, cuddly, <laughs> warm, um, inviting. They got rid of all that stuff. Yes, and about a third of their scholarship athletes along with it, but. Uh, and, of course, you know, not too shockingly, they didn't have a great, great year, but they were a competitive, tough team in a way they had not been in a while. And Listen to some of this stuff. They lost to Baylor, Kansas State, and TCU by a combined score of 99-17. to 17. Uh, They got beat by BYU 41-7. to 7. They got beat by Arkansas 31-7. to 7. Yeah. So the the term in the business we use is uh that would be the, the technical term for that. Well that that will not be allowed to that won't be allowed anymore. That's not going to happen. It, it, yeah, if they if they're if they're losing games like that this year, Charlie Strong won't see year three. Well, that won't that, happen that, because that seat will get hot. <laughs> Oh, it, the seat's hot already just because he's so different from what they're used to in a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. But the, the 
the seat the seat won't get to that hot. He will literally beat each of them to death before that happens. So that won't happen. That's not going to be allowed. So the guys that have stuck it out realize that football is hard and sometimes it hurts, which I don't think all of the guys they had before always realized. So now they have a different bunch of dudes. Um, you know, David Ash and Max Wittick, who was almost kind of sort of going to try to do the graduate transfer. Yeah, you got to graduate before you can do that. That was the problem, yes. <laughs> That was the issue, yes. That he ran into a little issue with the graduation part of the graduate transfer thing. So, yeah, a bunch of stuff happened. Like I said, things, things took place. Some things did take place. Uh, they experimented with, with an offense that was ill-suited to the guys that they had. Just a bunch of stuff. Uh, they had guys that weren't really suited to what Charlie Strongway would do. A lot of, a lot of stuff. Like I said, a lot of things. And so now they find themselves, you know, once again, this is a program very much at a crossroads, partially because they have to remake themselves in a very different image from the image that, like I said, had been there before and had been successful for a long time. I mean, that's not disparity. It's easy to take shots, obviously, at, you know, but that's a Hall of Fame coach that eventually, you know, kind of lost his way and- a little bit, but. And, and really, until the end, where Mac was really great, Mac was really great at managing the stuff that yes. the other stuff, other than coaching, yes, that you right. have at Texas, and that ain't right. gonna go away either. So yes, right, right, right. He was a great CEO, um, <laughs> great speaker at the various banquets that were going to. He was going to have to attend. He built great relationships with all the big-time coaches, all the big-time programs. He did great at certain things. But he he was obviously and almost towards the end there. Out. You know, yeah. almost, almost because of his lobbying, you know, with, with uh, yes. and going down there and being like, I got some kicks. Well, he did. Obviously, they but, you know, hey, I got some strippers in the back. Yeah, but um, I, yeah, he never did anything like that. I'm just saying, very, very good at wheeling and dealing, and you know, yeah. and that sort of thing. Um, and but the problem was, is it was all the talent side of things. I mean, you and plus you had that graphic where they had a chance at Johnny Manziel, and they had a chance at David Winston, and they had a chance at yeah. like they had the tape. The tape was there. The tape was in their hands, and they were like, eh, I don't know about this Jameis Winston. He is kind of a weird name, you know, you know, not like Colt McCoy or David Ash. It almost felt like the players they were going after had names, you know, relatable sort of Texas-style names versus actual talent. So, Well, I mean, the, the, the one thing is – and uh, this is real. I mean, when you build those relationships with those Texas high school coaches, Bill, can you go to our, can you go to Alabama and get the starting quarterback at Texas? Yeah. Are those, are those coaches going to start talking to Art Briles over there at Baylor? Or <laughs> I mean, you, you, you get where I'm going here. 
So, yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of old boy network in the old Texas football program. I say old, we're talking about you know, a couple of years ago. But there was a lot of old boy network stuff, basically. And now, for several reasons, that can't be true. One, because the guy they've got there can't be a member of the old boy network for once again, a variety of reasons. But they now have, well, I mean, the coaching staff is very different in a bunch of ways. I mean, he's shown Les Kinning and Bruce Chambers and a bunch of guys that's on the door, basically. And the guys who come in, one, are, you know, have a different everything, different mindset, different whatever you want to say. It's all different. Well, they can uh, coach. Sean, yes, well, Sean, Walk, Sean Watson and John Wickline are sort of going to be dividing it up with Watson doing sort of the more QB coaching and tight end coaching and that kind of stuff, and Wickline dealing more with the running game and offensive line. Uh, Vance Bedford, who, of course, is a minor legend in the coaching business as a defensive coordinator, is going to be probably include, you know, a defense is going to take a step forward, I believe. Even they've lost some guys. I wouldn't be surprised if Desmond Jackson, Son Ridgeway. I'm not saying that there, you know, there'll be no drop off, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of drop off on that on that D line. They've got some talent there. Uh, people are excited about what Shiro Davis might be able to do. Uh, Nishan Hughes is just a sophomore, but he's shown some flashes. And Malik Jefferson is just a freshman, but he's a guy that, once again, was one of the guys that got a lot of buzz coming out of the spring, along with a uh, very young guy. I mean, they're, they're a lot of youth at linebacker this year, but they're talented youngsters. Uh, Malik Jefferson is, you know, a beast, even though he's, I don't know, 19. Um, and then, you know, John Bonney, Edward Freeman, Malik Jackson, all fresh and all utter animals. Uh, those guys don't make some mistakes, but they've got some they've got some talent there. Um, obviously, Jordan Hicks, Steve Edmond, not coming to that door. Uh, Peter Jenkins and Tim Cole will be in the linebacking mix, though, I would assume. Um, I just mentioned all the young kids. Uh, in the corners, Duke Thomas and Shroyd Evans. I, Likes Evans at times, but he's he suffered an ugly knee injury, and he might end up missing the entire season. We'll see what happens with that. Um, but they have once again some young, talented dudes uh, hanging around the cornerback room, including a young guy named Chris Boyd and Devontae Davis, and another freshman, three freshmen uh, in Holton Hill are all the guys, you know, on the rest of the depth chart at corner. Um, Dylan Haynes. Jason Hall, give them a better thinking bunch of safeties than they've had in a while, for lack of a better way of putting it. They aren't super, super athletes, but they have the football IQ in the secondary position has gone up from where it was a few years ago. Uh, Dylan Haynes, in fact, was a walk-on, a walk-on, and he was the best guy in their secondary much of last year, in my opinion, at least. So, you know, that's that's the kind of thing you didn't see happen very often previously. Um, okay, looking at their schedule. Rough. Okay, so Rough. It is pretty, pretty brutal. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, uh, you start off with Notre Dame. Then you, you don't have to get to rest up against Rice, but it's a, a game you can win. California, a game you can win. Oklahoma State, yeah. TCU, Oklahoma, Kansas State, oh, well, Iowa State, that helps. Uh, Kansas, okay, good, good. So you can kind of rest up a little bit there. 
Uh, I don't know. I think they'll see. be better. I think, I mean, they're I saw better. the spring game. They looked a lot better on offense. Um, they defense is going to be, I mean, it's Malcolm Brown. I mean, not Malcolm Brown, but Charlie Strong. So it's going to be a, a decent defense. <laughs> you know, this is like the first yeah. year he actually yep. has some of his guys. So right. coming in and doing stuff. So, um, and Ridgeway, of course, like you just mentioned, I think he'll be a little bit better this year. Um, it'll be more of an impact on the interior line. And uh, obviously this is also second year of Jonathan Gray coming back from uh, injury. Um, and he looked a lot better towards the latter half of last season. So don't count takes it out, guys. That's all I'm trying to say. I understand. Oh, I'm just counting them out. I, that, I, think, uh, I, think, I think eight wins is possible. Seven wins is probable. Uh, but it's there's be a tough. leap of faith. There's a leap of faith here, but I'm willing to take that that leap because I know Charlie Strong will, will be able to catch me if I fall. So. Can't say that a lot about a lot of coaches. So. Well put, Jim. Well put. So uh, that brings us to. And you have a popular bigness of 12 to the the two schools in uh, what used to be called Indian country back in the old days, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. And for many years, obviously, it was sort of a big brother, little brother situation. But if you look at the situation more recently, it's been a little more, little more even-handed uh, than it has been in the past. And, you know, Oklahoma State um, beat Oklahoma in overtime last year in a, you know, awesome shootout game, 38-35, and finished up last year 7-6. Oklahoma State has, I'd say, at least... uh, I would say about four legitimate pro prospects and maybe another couple of fringe guys, which is probably about par for the course for Oklahoma State. Uh, as, as you mentioned before, they ended up having burned Mason Rudolph's uh, redshirt last year due to injuries to um, uh, what was his name? <laughs> um, Well, they have a couple, well, because Walsh, I guess Walsh is still around. Um, I can't remember the, kid, the kid's name. But they've, they've got a bunch of guys in the mix, but Rudolph has emerged as their most talented option at quarterback, and maybe one of the more talented options they've had at that position at quarterback for them in a while. I guess they're going back probably to, you know, to, you know, the, <laughs> I guess it was how far you put it, go back, but probably to the Whedon era. Uh, and, and like I said, much younger. Um, they do have uh, Victor Salaka, who comes to them without having to sit out a year because UAB temporarily was without a football team, so he can come in without having to sit out a year. He was the best of the offensive linemen I saw 
when I watched UAB. Now, you know, we'll see how he holds up against the Big 12 competition. Um, but, yeah, Emmanuel Ugba uh, is, a, is a guy that a lot of people have been excited about. And they also have Jimmy Bean, who is sort of a, an interesting other guy. Uh, Ryan Simmons is a pretty decent uh, quarterback, not quarterback, pretty decent uh, linebacker, sorry. And then amongst their corners, uh, Kevin Peterson's a guy that I've, I've sort of seen flashes on. What is it that you've noted when you've watched up on the stage, Jeff? Uh, well, I think I just mentioned, uh, you know, Emmanuel Oba is, I mean, honestly, going into this year, a lot of people have him as sort of their a top five pass rusher in terms of the guys that are coming in. But he's still kind of a day three guy to me in terms of just a project kind of guy. Um, yeah, yeah sure. prove, you know, yeah. prove a little bit here and there. Uh, I mean, I I have him ranked be the number year, one. Yeah, I have him ranked number one, twenty-eight overall. He's like a mid fourth. But yeah, that and my, so far he's the guy. Yeah, well, I just say that because there's a lot of people that are like sticking him in like late first and second round, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know. Like, uh, that's at least for me. Uh, but I, I do like him. I think that if he can um, just get a little bit more, uh, you know, as a pass rusher, there's, there's too much of a sense of winging it out there, you know, um, instead of actually playing with solid technique and strategy and stuff. So I think yeah, that he I- could just. Yeah, good. I, I don't. I don't think he has a clue. Knows a clue. Knows what he's what he's doing. He still has eleven sacks and seventeen tackles for loss. Right. <laughs> that's great. That's right. awesome. But that's so, a and, and, pass and, and, and well, what I'm saying is though, at a college level, yeah, he might not need to actually know what he's doing. He's just more talented than everybody else. Won't work as well at the NFL level. But at the no. college level, I mean, he's not going to be playing, you know, elite offensive tackles. He's going to be playing guys that really aren't as talented as he is. So, I mean, I wouldn't poo-poo that, you know, that he's, that he's going to actually cause the, guys, the teams in the Big 12 quite a bit of problems. Why? I'm sorry, mm-hmm. really. Uh, there's something wrong with your thing, bro. Oh, I was saying, yes, he already has caused problems in the Big 12, and I would imagine he would continue to do so. So mm-hmm. when you think about a guy like Oprah, you mentioned that just due to his sort of, uh, you know, I mean, people talk about blind dog in a, in a meat market or whatever. This, that is who he is right now. He. But occasionally, even a blind dog in a meat market is going to end up sinking its teeth into the soft well, underbelly of your I quarterback. Mean, most of it's, you know, especially if that dog's a 100-pound German Shepherd and the other guys around him are, you know, you know, 50-pound poodles. <laughs> so, and that's kind of what that, that's kind of the situation is. He's just a guy with a lot of power and speed. And he doesn't 
he's not on probably at a level yet where he actually needs to know what he's doing to, like I said, cause a lot of problems. Right, right. And if they don't create the yeah. tackles, yeah, it's probably a different story. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, when he does face some of the better tackles in the conference, but even even then, he has some things physically that will make him, as you mentioned, sort of a handful to deal with. I mean, and even in the Big 12, how many elite offensive tackles are there in the Big 12? Um, not not a lot. <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean Mr. Drango is, I won't say he's, mean, but he's, but he's, he's better than most of the other tackles in the conference. Um, it's Sean Icky, though. Yeah, I know. I'm not disputing that. I'm just... He has like a question. I'm he's better than some other ones, but he's still shot hickey. So. Oh, I don't. I don't think we're. I don't think we're just agreeing. I'm just saying that as I look through. No, I get that. This is all I'm trying to say about Oba. <laughs> is definitely a guy that is going to test well. You know, and everything like that. I just want yeah. him to be a little bit more productive, prove his technique a little bit. You know, that's yes. that's it. That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Right. So I understand that that he's a very talented player, has a lot of physical tools. I just want him to do a little bit more, you know. Because, yeah, he is I, a German Shepherd, but hey, a German Shepherd should be doing a lot more against the poodle, is what I'm trying to say, you know, in the situation. <laughs> I think he should be doing a lot more than he's doing right now if he really is a German Shepherd going up against the poodle. That poodle should be dead. It should be in the ground, you know, it's, the body parts of it should be everywhere. That's what that poodle should look like, and he hasn't got to that point yet. <laughs> yeah, so. he's more of the of the flashy disruptor than the constant force on the edge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's all. That's, that's all. I'm sorry, I just remember the other kid's name, Dax Garman. In their little three three way quarterback competition, that uh, right, Dax Garman was the other kid. Dax Garman, J. W. Walsh, and. Uh, Oh, and Oklahoma State has a load of wide receivers. Yes. I mean, they have yes, wide they receivers. Do. They have wide receivers on top of wide receivers. Yes, they do. You know, and so, yeah, Juwan Seals, David Glidden, James Washington, to, to name a few. And, like I said, the one that I think has a chance maybe to be the best pro is probably Seals, who's I've seen so far. But and I know Keenan Brown. There was a lot of talk about him out of spring there, there is. There's a lot of talk about him. They got to figure out the running back position, obviously. Uh, Rennie Childs has, <laughs> you know, had a couple of moments. Uh, Todd Mays, you know, college kid. Um, Chris Carson, another transfer that's in there, and of course, um, we all know about. Arrested, I think. Right, we know. Well, once again, domestic violence situation with his pregnant girlfriend. So that's. Yeah. yeah. That's a no. So their defense, which is obviously you know more of the question mark most years, if indeed they get you know good consistent pass rush out of Ogba indeed, if Simmons can sort of organize the, the middle of the defense and if uh they get you know somebody to uh you know, say, you know, Seth Jacobs or some of those other guys to emerge. 
Uh, and Jordan Stearns, uh, who had a really good year last year and had a 20-tackle game against West Virginia uh, playing secondary, playing the secondary. That's They can sort of get decent play out of their secondary to match the other things we're talking about. They could fight and scratch and claw their way to eight victories, possibly. Uh, Central Michigan, win. Central Arkansas, win. UTSA, win. Texas, we just sort of talked about that. That's a tight one. But both teams really need that game. Um, that's one of those. Uh, that should be an, an interesting game. That should be a fairly strong one of, bit more. Yeah, <laughs> you might well be right. But that'll be one of those things where it could turn someone's season. Um, then they got a, oof, they got a tough little well, a little run there because Texas, Kansas State, West Virginia, and they're playing at West Virginia. West Virginia is a much better team playing at home. Then they get a little light let off with Kansas, then Texas Tech, TCU, Iowa State, Baylor, Oklahoma. So, so, hey, Jim, what, what year were you born? Oh, uh, 1990. 1990. You know, so you just barely made it. <laughs> One time in your lifetime, TCU has won in Stillwater. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. 1991 is the last time TCU won in Stillwater. Stillwater, yeah. <laughs> Yes, it's been a, a minute, Peter. And and to put it in perspective, there was a locket on that team. <laughs> <laughs> was it what, what, which locket? Was it Trevor Locket, Scott Locket, Kevin Locket? It was, yeah, Kevin. It was Kevin. Kevin Locket was on that team. Kevin Locket, okay. And it wasn't even his senior year. I think it might have been his sophomore year, even though. <laughs> Woo. Or maybe it's junior year. But yeah, I feel a little old when I think about I'm seeing more and more father son combinations. I'm just worried when I finally see the grandson. That's when I'm going to get worried when I start seeing grandsons. But at least I haven't seen any of those yet. I'm just worried that like Tony Dorsett's grandson is going to be on somebody's team soon. But yes, that's going to be a tough one. Um, can they find eight victories here? Mm. Probably mm. not. Mm. They had seven last year, and they're going to be quite a bit better this year. And they only had one. That's the only season of fewer than eight wins in Mike Gundy's like, time there. Right. And this is going to be a, I think it's a watershed year. I mean, there's a couple of programs where they're, you know, immediate futures will be decided probably towards the end of this year because Oklahoma State fans, you know, not spoiled by your stress of the imagination, but they they wouldn't be competing. Yeah, they wouldn't be competing for the, you know, conference championship. They haven't done that you know, very recently and probably won't do it this year. But they need to see some growth from last year in order not to be, I mean, once again, I think Gundy be fired if they went seven and six again this year. But I think there'd be some rumbling a little bit because there was some rumbling last year. You know, there was some rumbling from the most important person in that program that matters. Yes, correct. <laughs> <laughs> the only one that matters. Yes, yes. <laughs> hey, if you're writing checks that size, you 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 will always matter. I mean, what the heck? They, they named the stadium after, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so that I mean, he, he's a guy who pays for the stadium, pays for the water room. <laughs> yes. And everything else, yes. Pays for everything. So, yes, his, his voice will matter. If you can just sit down one day and write a check in the eight to nine figure range, people will listen to you. Just show me the money. Money talks. And so his voice, like I said, is heard throughout that program. And that brings us to the ever popular Andy Daddy. And fascinating, at least somewhat fascinating, um, program that we have out there in the West Texas area, the Bear Bears. And I've watched this program be go from being, you know, a nice program, solid program, to a pretty good program for a while, and then kind of fall off the face of the earth for a few years there, and then get rebuilt to this point where this is, you know, once again, one of those sort of sexy dork horse playoff teams that hasn't quite made the playoffs yet, but some people think might. Now, obviously, they've got to get through TCU and a whole bunch of other people to get there, but this is a team that has... Well, I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, but they don't have a TV keeper in Pickens, but they managed to come up with the $266 million in order to build their new, you know, let's do about the house that RG3 built. And it's... Who is still running uh, this? Shockman went. But it's an impressive-looking edifice. It is an impressive-looking edifice. It is. It is. It is. The Baylor-McLean Stadium is something to see. Art Bryles is 55 and 34 in his time at Baylor and 89 and 62 overall. And in his last few years, he's winning at almost like a 90%, about almost exactly a 90% clip. And he has a chance to continue. Uh, he has defensive coordinator Phil Bennett, who is a really, really good uh, defensive coordinator who manages, as you said, to deal with some tough, tough sledding. I mean, you're playing in a conference where everybody's capable of scoring about 50 points. And your offense has to do score about, it seems like every 11 seconds sometimes, but that means you have to go back out and play defense again every 11 seconds. So you've got to deal with a lot of rotating of guys, and a lot, a lot goes into trying to play defense if you play, if you're trying to be a defensive coordinator and you're a player for Baylor. Um, two other things that obviously this team has. Well, they've got guys. Um, Chris Johnson is a very talented kid, but he's backing up Seth Russell, who, like I said, they're very excited about it. Quarterback, uh, Shock Linwood is one of the faster, quicker running backs in the country. Johnny Jefferson is not exactly trash backing him up. Uh, Spencer Drango, <laughs> obviously, we've heard Jim way on Spencer Drango, but whatever else you want to say about him, he's probably, if not the best, and one of the best tackles in the conference. And then his backup, Tanner Thrift, in the old days at Baylor, that guy would be a starter from the time he hit campus. It tells you something that the Baylor program is how much better the Baylor program is. You look at the fact that guys like Tanner Thrift are backups. Those guys you know, we talked. Yeah, yeah, we talked. We talked about a little earlier that you know how connected Mac was into the high school in Texas. Art Bryles is a legend in the high school yes. ranks in Texas. Yeah. I mean. Art Bryles can literally go – he, I mean, you, you don't think about this at Baylor traditionally, but Art Bryles can literally go anywhere in Texas 
recruit any kid in Texas and at least be able to get an audience with that kid just because of the connections he has through the coaching ranks and the high school coaching ranks in Texas. Right. Yeah. So many of those high school coaches aren't browsing their heroes. Well, that's a way to put it. He's kind of seen as the savior of that uh, football organization. Savior maybe slightly overstating the case, but he's, I'll say this much, um, you know, it's it's certainly the best they've been in a long time. In the Grant Taft era, which was the last time they were good, uh, they've surpassed you're saying that was a, wasn't that a basketball town? No, (laughs) not really. You know, um, Baylor basketball is a fairly relatively new thing as well. Baylor basketball was not terribly good until pretty recently. It was a football town. I mean, Baylor, Waco has been a football town since long before any of us were born. Um, There's guys from Waco in the Hall of Fame who started playing in the 30s. So, no, it's been a football town forever. But Baylor, unfortunately, wasn't winning most of those recruiting battles in the last long time, (laughs) last very long time. That's the thing that's changed is that they're getting guys like Shockman Woods. They're getting guys like Tennis West. They're getting guys like Jarrett Stidham and, and Blake Lynch and Jermichael Hasty. These are guys they would have had no shot at 10 years ago or even five years ago. So Robert Griffin III and Art Bryles and a lot of other guys that have come to that program have helped them to, one, I mean, they've outperformed the other programs of the day in the last three years in terms of record. And by a significant margin, except TCU, well, TCU's, you know, about a few games behind them. But, I mean, if you look at the last three-year record, I mean, Baylor's, what, 32 and four or something like that, (laughs) you know, over the past three years. I mean, they've had some success recently. So, So, yes, they are... They are they're currently the sort of hot, sexy program in the state of Texas. Now, they may not be the best program, but they're the hot, sexy program um, in the state of Texas. Now, because we'll talk about who might actually be the best program. But, you know, they return some talent. Like, is that Shaq Linwood, uh, Corey Coleman, Taylor Young sort of flies underneath the radar, but he's one of their better guys on defense. Obviously, Sean Oakland's been turned into a meme, so everybody knows who he is. Even people who don't really know football know Sean Oakland. Oh, well, that nonetheless, he's going to be one of their better players on defense. And they've got Orion Stewart and Xavier Howard, uh, who are once again um, sort of flying underneath the radar in their in their uh, defensive backfield. Uh, Howard's sort of your classic um, free safety center fielder type, and Xavier Howard is one of those you know sort of big corners that the NFL has a tendency to covet. Now he needs to improve in some areas, particularly, you know, finding the defender. He finds the football fairly and finds, finding the receiver. Sometimes he loses track of the receiver looking at the ball. The, that's the hard thing about playing corners. You have to be able to know where you are, where the ball is, and where the receiver is. You have to do that pretty much all the time. And the way you're usually taught to do it is by trying to stay close enough to receive to touch him so that you don't have to see him, and then you can find the ball and make a play on the ball, hopefully. But he he knows how to look find the ball. Sometimes he forgets where the receiver is and can give up a big play. But talented guy to size, and you know, we should see how he he tests. Um, 
as was mentioned, Katie Cannon is another guy. Can fly. He's got some, I mean, looking through, one of the cool names also is Lynx Hawthorne, who is going to be playing receiver for them as well. So between Lynx Hawthorne, Davian Hall, Katie Cannon, Chris Pat, uh, Platt, uh, Ishmael Zamora, and, and Corey Coleman, every single one of those other names has a shot at one day playing on Sunday. Every single one of their receivers on the two deep has a shot to play on Sunday. That's like I said, that wouldn't have been true um, five or, or ten or twenty years ago. So they their depth is what's so dramatically different from what Baylor used to be. Baylor, you know, I, I watched Mike Singletary play at Baylor, and you know they had a couple of running backs on that team, and actually two of the quarterbacks on that team ended up playing in the NFL though not well or, or terribly. Well, well, Tom Mickey had a cup of coffee. Cody Carlson actually managed to hang around for a while with your Raiders. Yes, I know you do. Well, he was a teammate of uh, of um, uh, Singletary's back at, at Baylor in the, you know, in the Grand Taft era. So it was a decent program, don't get me wrong, but it was nothing like now where there were pro prospects all over the place. Uh, is it Uquatu eligible this year as well? I believe you're correct. Yes, I believe you're correct. I think he should now be eligible to play. So, yeah, they've got some stuff. <laughs> That's what I'm driving at. Um, you know, as I mentioned, Bo Blackshear, um, not, not too shabby. He's he's a guy that we're, they're expecting things of. Uh, Jamal Palmer, apparently, um, you know, is looking halfway decent coming off of his, uh, his ACL tear of last year. I uh, already mentioned uh, Taylor Young. And Andrew Billings, of course, is a, a weight room wonder uh, that is, you know, just a kid, basically. I mean, he's still um, – I don't think he's – well, no, I said that. He might be 20 now. I guess he probably, he probably is 20 now. But uh, he's he's a powerful dude. They've got some talent on this team. I mean, I, I think there might be as many as – Good Lord. I mean, there might be the double figures of guys that may one day pick up an NFL game check on their current two deep. That's just crazy. That's so different, like I said, from the way it used to be not that long ago. So that's the part that our Bryles definitely deserve credit for. They're, the depth of talent is unlike Baylor's ever had. That's the one that's better than ever. It was better at least in the 40-some-odd years I've been watching Baylor play football. Uh, Jim, who are some of the guys that you are keeping your eye on and why uh, amongst the Baylor Bears? Uh, well, you know, Chuck Linwood at running back, um, very, very fast, very quick, uh, exciting player. Um, Corey Coleman is another guy that um, – the one criticism I usually have against Baylor guys is, you know, kind of doing the whole route tree consistently. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's yes. a lot of times exactly. it's just a bunch of nine routes. Yeah, it's, it's, Nine routes. it's yeah, it's not the whole route tree exactly. That's the whole point. Is it's it's a very it's like four routes, and and they only really get good at at, at really three of the four. So yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I think overall he has sort of the size. Uh, Katie Cannon kind of reminds me of uh, like Paul Richardson or AJ Dickens kind of yeah, yep. um, sort of that body type. Uh, <clears throat> uh, other guys, 
I mean, they have a bunch of different guys. I mean, they usually have a running back that's really fast. Johnny Jefferson, you know, very yeah. fast, very dynamic. Devin Chapin, same difference. So, um, Seth Russell, I think I'll be interested to see what he does. Uh, he he was pretty interesting. Um, you know, when he had a summon for Petty, he – now, of course, it was against less competitive teams, but he, he held his own, you know, uh, in terms of running that offense. Um, Defense-wise, uh, you know, Oakman is, uh, as I said before, it depends on what you want him. If you, if you see him as a 3-4 defensive end, I think he needs to just get a little bit bigger to do that because um, he's about 270 or 280-ish. I think he needs to get to about 290 to 300 with his size. <clears throat> and I think in terms of that position, he could be a potential starting 3-4 defensive end. Um, if you have him as an edge guy, I think he'll be sort of like a Marcus Hunt sort of thing um, to a certain extent. Um, my big issue with him is that he's not exactly a very good bender consistently. Yep. Um, yeah. And he has issues in terms of that, in terms of leverage, because he's almost too tall um, and play with the one he plays on the edge. <clears throat> but, I mean, he's an okay player. Uh, only metrical sort of issues that he just wasn't that productive, and he's going to be 24 years old when he enters the draft, which is historically very old. Um, right. Uh, Bo Blackshire is kind of interesting. Andrew Billings is kind of interesting. Um, I, I know you mentioned uh, Xavier Howard. Xavier Howard is another one of the cornerbacks that Baylor usually, you know, He'll probably be drafted by, like, Green Bay or something like that <laughs> and be developed um, sort of thing. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, those uh, those are all the guys that really come to mind. Obviously, Oakland is going to be the most talked about guy uh, because he's, you know, there's a there's a meme. He has his own meme now, you know, that exists. So And, uh, and I mean, you know, it's the lowest common denominator, but he's a better football player than Eric Armstead is. Oh. Yeah. Yep. No doubt, I, I agree. I'm, I'm, I understand that that argument, but you know, two yeah, wrongs, two wrongs. I think there's a lot of common denominator. Well, I mean, you have to understand, Armstead was 50 percentile in most of the, or 50 or 60 or less, 40 in some sort of yeah. you know, terms of production, right? Uh, Armstead is more so in the 70 range, which is not bad. He won them in the 80s to the 90s, obviously, because the 90s is where all the Hall of Famers are, and the 80s is kind of where the fringe Pro Bowl kind of guys are, and he's more in the 70s. You want to bump up a little bit, but um, that's that's probably real criticism of Oakland is that he might be too tall. But if he can play with a little bit more leverage, uh, I think he'll and, and be a lot more productive than he was last year, then I, I think there's a good chance to get drafted. I just wouldn't pay a, a first-round price for that uh, until I know all the rest of, you know, until all the rest of this stuff happens. So that's just, I know some people are really super-duper excited about him, but I'm just one of those guys that I see him as a guy who ended up being a starter for you, but I don't see much else upside-wise. Got it. And that brings us last, but certainly not least, in fact, the opposite of least, to TCU. And as I mentioned, there's some people picking TCU to win 
not just the Big 12, but the whole shooting match. It's an interesting program. Um, once again, uh, the program... Did we talk about TCU? Um, not really in detail, no. We talked about John um, Boykin. We had to sort of through all the quarterbacks at first, but we didn't go through, you know, the... Did, you, did, did you guys talk about Oklahoma before I got here? Uh, we can only touch back on Oklahoma. Obviously, you know, I'm excited about Samaj Perrine because Samaj Perrine is a beast. Um, and we talked about their sort of confused quarterback situation. Well, not confused, but, you know, the fact that there are some question marks still remaining. But, yeah, um, what were some of the things that you had noticed or thought about Oklahoma, uh, Steve? Uh, I think Oklahoma is going to be one of the more talented teams. That the, They're going to be playing Tennessee and Knoxville early, and there's going to be a lot of NFL players on that field when, they, when, those, two teams get, when those two teams get out there. Uh, Lincoln Riley coming to Oklahoma. Uh, I think that's the big thing of why they went to Mayfield. Mayfield's really perfect for Riley, and so it, what he it, what he does, and they're going to score a bunch of points, and they've got talent all over their defense. I think they're one of the teams that are being undersold. Uh, I think Baylor is probably the best team in the in the Big Twelve, and Oklahoma second, and I. Honestly, believe TCU has lost more on their defense than they're going to be able to replenish. So, well, that's, a, that's an interesting point, and you could you could interrupt. You're right. Oklahoma is a fascinating program for a bunch of reasons. One is that, as you talked about, you know, for a long time there's been this assumption that they're going to be good this year, next year, and every year. And when things began to happen where they just weren't basically able to sort of roll the football out and win 10 or 11 games every year, there was sort of this mini panic um, amongst the <laughs> Oklahoma faithful. Now, I do believe that, uh, to some extent, order will be restored this year. I think they're going to go back to being a, a very solid competitive program with a chance to win their half of the conference and to be in that double-digit win category. But they will definitely need – They'll definitely need the, the quarterback position to, like, the sort of fight. And some of those young guys on defense are going to need to step way up. And, of course, they have a superstar in Eric Stryker, but what is he? And that's let's start with that. Steve, what the heck is Eric Stryker in your mind? You know, uh, he looks like a safety. <laughs> He's safe on the hook. Uh, and... You know, depending on testing, that may end up where he ends up, believe it or not. Uh, you know, the guys that you play down in the box as a safety. And, you know, box safeties still actually have use in the NFL. I know people don't believe that, but they do. And a guy who can rush a passer off of that. If he, if he doesn't test well, I mean, he ends up having to stay at linebacker. Wow. I just, I mean... I just don't see how an NFL linebacker weighs 205, 10 pounds. Stryker is a a wonderful player. Well, supposedly he's at least 217. That's what I'm hearing. Now, I don't know if that's – I mean, I haven't been there and he's been weighed in. (laughs) I'm hearing 217. I'm hearing 217. I mean, I heard 15 on Gregory, so (laughs) – like I said, no, I would say this when I believe it's true. <laughs> yeah, 
I know. I'm just telling you what I'm hearing. I'm, the number I, I've heard most recently is 217. Okay. Okay. Now, that was still yeah. making 15 pounds lighter than Cam Chancellor, who is a safety. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, Isaiah, what do you think Eric Stryker is? Is Isaiah still with us? Okay, maybe Isaiah isn't with us. Okay, and Jim, what do you think Stryker is? He is what he's always been. He's a spur linebacker. You know? Nickel linebacker that does pass rush stuff on occasion. So, um... Heck of a gunner, maybe? Well, yeah, special teams. Uh, you know, the... What was it? What was it? The Carolina Panthers spent a first-round pick on, on a guy like him, right, and Shaq Thompson. Like, that's that's what striker can kind of do for you in a, in a few ways in terms of being that in a nickel set, he could be that extra linebacker that can kind of, and he's not bad in coverage, you know, he's not terrible in terms of, you know, zones in terms of his own scheme. So I think in terms of him being that nickel linebacker who rushes on occasion, he can do that for you. So, you know, blitzes on occasion, that sort of stuff. So, but, um, I mean, that's what he is. He's a, he's a spur linebacker. He's just he's a spur linebacker that happens to be really good at second the quarterback, which is something that's not always – those things are usually not in common, you know. <laughs> and then, again, when you went up against Cyrus Ponzo, how hard is it really to get around the corner against Cyrus Ponzo? But that's a different debate for another uh, day. Because <laughs> of it. Chuck Quandre's beautiful technique couldn't stop Eric Stryker. So, I, I, yeah. I could say Coleman Thomas didn't stop him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, yeah, I mean, that, that's what Stryker is. And I know that there's, there's not a ton of Strykerites. I mean, I know you're one of those types of guys, Bill, a little bit. Well, you know. I'm, not, I'm not a guy who would take him in the first round, but he's a guy yeah. who's not mind having my football team. Right, day three, right? Get him as a special teamer, uh, that extra linebacker for you type guy. There's nothing wrong with that. I don't, I don't know if he makes it to day three, though. I think he's a guy that's going to go somewhere in around 50 to 60. Well, I, he might I know the day. NFL, and the NFL doesn't like guys like him. So, you know, I, talked, sure. I just got off the phone with the NFL, and they told me they don't like him. So, <laughs> so they're going to be we're thinking of a day three. So as much as the coach might go, I, I, I love Eric Stryker. Yeah, I don't know. Todd McShay told me that uh, <laughs> that, that Eric Gregory was the uh, you know the was the most talented pass rusher in the last draft, and essentially Eric Stryker is his well, most talented brother. He might be because when you think about it, he's two hundred and seventeen pounds. Gregory was 18. That's not a big leap to go, guys. It's not a big leap to go. That's that's what I was, what I was thinking when I was getting these reports from my my source near the Oklahoma program. It's like, oh, he's all. But again, it'll guy. be how he tests. If, if Eric Stryker yeah. tests like this beast of a pass rusher, and that's the thing too, is if he's 218 at the combine, which I mean, you could get up to that weight, I, I think maybe. Sure, um, maybe even a little bit heavier. Yeah. And a little bit heavier, then I would make the argument to all the Randy Gregory. So, Randy Gregory at 218, fine. This guy at 218, no good. 
And, no and, this, it, and this guy was more productive against probably better competition. Than exactly. <laughs> sure. Yeah. You, you know, Bill, if you had me, what I hope Eric Stryker is, I mean, if I close my eyes and hope, I'd hope mm-hmm. Carnell Lake, but I don't know if he That would Carnell be Lake. so cool if he ended up being Carnell Lake. That would be a nice little <laughs> way to go. Now, Carnell Lake actually played some corner, so I don't know if he can do that. <laughs> but Carnell Lake was a freak athlete. I mean, truly a freak athlete. I mean, you don't see people who can often who can do what Carnell Lake could do, who could play – you know, in certain situations, almost like a defensive end, could play like a yeah, linebacker, could play like a safety, could play like a corner. He literally played defensive end at UCLA. Yes, at 209 pounds. <laughs> 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 they may have listed him at 220, but I guarantee you he never saw 220 a day, and at least not a day in his playing life. He might be 220 now. <laughs> but, uh, I, I think he was at 209, from what I've been told from people who actually knew, you know, what he weighed while he was at UCLA. I think as heavy as he ever was there was 209. But, yeah, the guy played three or four different positions at various points, and he was a guy that, you know, could play some linebacker as small as he was at the NFL level. Obviously not every play all the time, but sort of the perfect nickel linebacker type, and then, you know, played corner. I mean, that's, at one point, he and Rod Woodson were cornerbacks together, you know, and then they were safeties together for a minute. As well. So, yeah, he played a lot of different – he did both of different things at various points in his NFL career, but he was an interesting player, and he's a coach now. Well, who better, right, than a guy like Carnell Lake? <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, that would be interesting to see if he manages to pull that off. He's certainly a player that I find interesting. Not, he's not a guy that I, I am crazy about as an NFL prospect, but he's certainly a guy I like as an NFL prospect, especially the way NFL's played now. I would like him less 20 years ago. But this is turning into the NFL becoming more and more like the Big 12. 25, years, big... ago, 25 years ago, Jeff Luke is like a top 20 pick. Yep. Yep. Right, and the, and then we're trying to figure out what to do with Eric. We might still be figuring out what to do with Eric Stryker, but we're gonna. It's worth the effort nowadays. You know what I mean? Like nowadays, we'll put in the effort to figure out what Eric Stryker is. Twenty five years ago, thirty years ago, you might not be interested enough to figure it out. Um, True, but, that, but, but you figure that out in day three. You don't figure that out in day two. day two. Right. I know what you're saying, but I I would place a small bet that I think somebody takes a shot on him. Oh, wait, wait a second, wait a second, Bill. I'm, I'm talking with Bill Belichick right now. Wait a second. Oh, hey, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were just talking about Eric Stryker. Uh, oh, okay. He said, uh, he, he said he might take him in the, in the fourth round. <laughs> but, yeah, I just got off the phone with Bill Belichick, and he told me, that Bill O'Brien is going to spend a first-round pick on Hack and then a second-round pick on Eric Stryker. (laughs) 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 Well, he is a Patrick candidate after all. 
Bill K Ultra and all that other kind of stuff. <laughs> Uh, we haven't talked about Trevor Knight, uh, so I think I'll start. He ends in the same since Katy Terry offered him a date. Well, that's the thing. I think right now he he feels like a plastic bag drifting through the wind, (laughs) wanting to start again. I, I think that's what he feels like. He feels so paper thin, like a house of cards, one blowing from caving in. That's that's how he feels. Uh, Trevor Knight is uh, like I like I told you, Bill. You can't trust the guy that turns out a date with Katy Perry. So now <laughs> now we know now we know the ramifications of that. Um, you're about to be beat out by Baker Mayfield, which people are like, oh, that's not so bad. It is pretty bad. You see, Baker Mayfield's like Baker Mayfield's not a bad quarterback by greatest stretch of imagination, but in terms of Trevor Knight and Baker Mayfield. I know Trevor Knight, you know, from what I've seen as a passer. You know, I, both- I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I mean, remember, I compared Baker Mayfield to a poor man's killing more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Mayfield is a guy that got tied in. He got Jason Morrow killed, man. Just <laughs> laid out, you know. Like, hey, you don't need these ribs, Jason Morrow. So, like, here you go. I'm going to throw this little whiffy, uh, you know, a throw a girl could make type throw, and, and you catch it. But, um, you know, night eh, too much hype, obviously, from the Alabama game. That's all I can really say. Um, I want – I don't know who the other quarterback – is it like Cody Thomas or like Justice Hansen or something like that? Yep. Competing. Yeah, I would Cody want one Thomas of those guys. I want one of those guys to win the job because, honestly, Trevor Knight – I mean, think of Baker Mayfield. It's not much different from Trevor Knight. I hate to break it to everybody, but it really isn't. I mean, it's a Baker Mayfield kind of like a Trevor Knight with less arm strength and a little and bit not, thicker. Yeah, he's not as athletic though. He's not. He's not going to run anywhere ever. Well, I mean, Mayfield did a little bit of running, and then he broke his or twisted his leg or something. <laughs> My. Okay, let, let me rephrase the question. You would, you don't want him running. That's probably a better way to put it. Yeah, I think it was against Kansas where he actually was doing that. So, um, <laughs> there he actually happened. But, yeah, I mean, I, that's the thing about Oklahoma is, is as much as they have the tradition and all that kind of stuff, they still don't have a quarterback. We thought they had him. We thought they found him. But I don't think Trevor Knight's the guy, and I don't think – Mayfield's a guy. I think they still are going to have lots of issues with that. But when you don't have a quarterback and you're in the college football, it's great. It's good to have a running back, and that's what they have in, you know, Kareem. So, they you know, sure do. <laughs> so I think they'll be fine with, uh, with that guy as long as they don't do a running back by committee system. Well, hopefully. I, I, Lincoln I, Riley will not do something stupid like not give her in the ball. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Keyboard is already taking a hike. Because <laughs> yeah, he can read the writing on that wall. <laughs> right. Right. And you can't blame them. I mean, they've got good running backs. Even beyond Ford and Prime, they've got other good runs. But 
you don't have anything like Samaj Prime. No one does. I mean, that's no offense to um, whoever it was Donovan kept talking about. Uh, who was that kid that Donovan kept talking about? Oh, 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 Fournette. No offense to Leonard Fournette. No offense to Nick, Ch- Nick Chubb's awesome, too. But good Lord, Prime. <laughs> I mean, that's a man. That's a – I can't believe that kid's not 20 yet. I mean, that kid's going to turn 20, I guess, during yeah, the season. Yeah, I know. Yes. And again, and again, uh, as I've said to many people, I know it might not be the best comparison, but I see MJD. You know, I guess because of the biceps, I guess he's a little he's a little shorter. You know, it's not as fast as MJD coming out of UCLA though. It's not as fast as MJD coming out of UCLA, but he definitely is that sort of low center of gravity, very powerful, you know, type of guy. I, I have probably never said this about a running back, but I've uh, before uh, since. But I see some Earl Campbell there. Just the ability so to dominate free tackles. Yep. He's sort of somewhere in between the two. I see a sort of faster Jamal Anderson, but I think we're all kind of nibbling around various parts of him. He is a low center of gravity guy with a little more speed than he doesn't look like he's going that fast. But he doesn't call from behind that often. <laughs> you know, you don't see guys running them down that often. So he's got a little more long speed than you would think on a guy built like that. He looks like a between the tackles power runner, and he is a between the tackles power runner. He's one that has a gear. He can, you know, shift. You know, after he busts through, it's like, okay. Now fight against me, and like I said, it's not like he gets. There's some guys you block everybody, like you knock everybody on the ground. He's gonna get eight yards because somebody's gonna catch it. He's not that guy. You you do a decent job of blocking. You're gonna take that thing. You know. You're gonna take it all the way. Nobody, because who wants to tackle him? He's the type of running back. Like has been said a few times. No one's catching it from behind because no one wants to. Exactly. <laughs> He's the type of guy you show up. You're like a safe. Like imagine this, Bill. Imagine if you're a safety, right, and you're you're warming up for the game, and you see him, see Kareem walking walking on the field, stretching and doing his thing, and you're probably thinking to yourself, "I have to tackle that thing." Really? Now, what you're really thinking is, Danny that Oklahoma's offensive line would look, you know, pretty lean. <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, no, bro. That ain't the offensive lineman. That's the running back. What? Yeah, he's, he's like I said when I first saw him as a you know first time I saw him as a true freshman. I think like he's. I remember guys eighteen put like that put together. I mean, like the kid that kid Miles uh, Jared at Texas A&M was like eighteen year old looking like this. It's crazy. So yeah, he's. He's packed in there. There's a lot of man in there. He's not the tallest thing in the world, as was pointed out by James, but there's a he's not little. He's just not very tall. And uh, I think they get Mixon back, too. They do. Yes, they do. And he's going to essentially be a third down back now, I guess, which is, you know, not the worst thing in the world. I guess. I don't know. It's just something that Donovan said where he said that, they, you know, they want to keep the recruits, so they try to get them in, you know, mm-hmm. them in and stuff like that. That's, that's what got me salty. <laughs> you shouldn't be rotating players in to keep them at the program, you know. 
And that's one way that college football has changed. Um, to be perfectly honest, Bear Bryant didn't worry about that stuff. <laughs> oh, you want to transfer, son? Well, first, you know, let me show you the door. I mean, it was, you know, it was, <laughs> there was no coddling you or whatever, convincing you to stay. None of that stuff. You mean Vince Dooley didn't rotate Herschel Walker? <laughs> Bo Jackson. Well, yeah, Bo Jackson. And that, that's why Bo Jackson went to Auburn anyways, because, you know, the Alabama coaches are like, listen, you know, we understand you want to start and everything else like that, but you're not going to be starting the first year. You know, and he's just like, really? He's like, no. Basically saying, you know, well, it's not going to be competitive either. You know, you're just not going to start. It's the tradition. And he's like, oh, the tradition. All right, I'll go to Auburn then. So, the rest of the history, as they like to say, but yeah, but the, yeah, but that's I, again, Freen is obviously the best offense of that, but Sterling Shepard is, is the next best thing at wide receiver. I mean, offensive line, I haven't seen a ton of them. Obviously, they lost all their guys, all their really ridiculously historically less athletic offensive tackles are gone now, so they'll have to replace those guys. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I can replace those non-athletes. <laughs> yeah, not to replace those backup caliber, preserve caliber offensive tackles at some point. Um, Charles Tapper, I know Bill's big fan of Charles Tapper. Um, I, I do like Tapper. Now, let me just say this. I think yeah. this is the year he, you know, begins to show why, right, shows why I've been so excited. But I could be wrong. I've been wrong before, but I think this is going to be a good year and a big year for, for Mr. Tapper. Well, it's the last year, so. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Come Which on now. I think we'll serve as motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Zach Sanchez, we obviously talked a little bit about him. As I said, Shuffle Bell. Donovan really likes that guy a lot. I know, but Donovan, in terms of, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I because of the interceptions, that was his big thing. He's like, he gets a lot of picks, and I'm like, he does get a lot well, yeah, of picks. He does get a lot of picks, but he also is getting burnt too. So, because yep. he's it's, a lot because of that technique, you know. Yep, that darn in the backfield, technique. and then oh, yeah. oh, I didn't see. Oh no, Stacy, <laughs> get him, get him. Uh, what's, what's your name? I don't know what you're going to stop him. Well, the one good thing is he's got a pretty good safety behind him. You know, when he gets burnt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's well, one way of looking at it, but I would like to be able, I'd like to see him be a little more traditionally technique sound than he is at this point. That you mean not he, go for an he shouldn't be trying to get an interception on every play? <laughs> well, it's okay to consider that you might get an interception on every play, but you can't bank on it. Like, you can't base everything around that. Because just in case you don't come up with the interception, you might want to make sure you're in position to make a tackle. That's the only thing I just ask him to keep in the back of his mind. Tackling. Or, you know, you don't, you don't get, you're not picking in the backfield while the wide receiver is running right by you. Right, yeah, that kind of stuff. <laughs> that, I could do without so much of that. I love that he wants to make big plays. But he keeps making them for he's making them for everybody yeah. though. Like everybody gets a big play. It seems like I mean, it seems like Bill, and maybe I'm mm-hmm. wrong, but I, you know, because I don't I don't coach defensive backs, so I don't know this. But 
it seems like Batman is more common in cornerback than ever. Like, it's the hardest thing to go from being able to turn your head as a corner. So instead of doing that, instead of drilling into their head, get your head turned around, locate the football, let's just do the shuffle bill. Uh, that just enrages me. So, and you guys are like, well, what do you mean by Batman not turning his head? Well, if you go back in time, a long time ago, Batman had a giant rubber you know, suit and he couldn't turn his head. He had to do a lot of could shoulder movements. <laughs> You know, yeah. this is what, it's how a lot of quarterbacks play now. They don't turn their head. They don't, they just, you know, it's all forward. All forward, uh, man. And that's what it seems like. Is instead of coaching that thing, instead of coaching the ability to trail a wide receiver down the field, get your head turned around and locate the football and make a play, they'd rather do the shuffle bell. Because it's, so what are it's these very wide, common. What are these wide right. receivers doing while all this shuffling is going on? <laughs> uh, well, they're usually so. taking it up, taking it up the field, you know, twenty, thirty yards. If the safety, if the safety's really good, he'll get he'll get that wide receiver to kind of get out of bounds to a certain extent. If he's good, if he's not good, then uh, it turns into a big play. So, yeah, so on the safety. We, you can get guys on the field, obviously, quickly. I mean, that's, I guess, the one thing. It's not, there's not a lot to learn because you, there's not a lot of moving parts in, in shuffle bail. It's pretty simple, straightforward stuff, but it's, it's dangerous, you know, as you just mentioned. And it teaches bad habits that some, if the guy does play at the next level, some coaches have to break all those bad habits that have been developed. But that's not your problem, you know. Nobody, it wasn't Urban Meyer's job to fix Tim Tebow. Nope. But it's frustrating <laughs> as a guy who knows how these in the backs should be should be brought up to see them raised incorrectly. Um, yeah. Has, has some, yeah. Has some stuff, but I, I just wish he, his, like I said, he's more technique sound. Uh, anybody else you guys want to mention from Oklahoma? At Oklahoma. Uh, I think we about covered the Sooners pretty well. So I can't think of anybody else that really sticks out. Well, the only other guys I wanted to make sure I mentioned, um, Jordan Evans and uh, and Dominic Alexander are also guys that I think might have pretty decent years in their secondary. That's a, that's a very interesting secondary. If their secondary plays at a super high level and has a really good year as a, as a unit, this is going to be a much better team, obviously, than if uh, they they don't take that big step up and we don't get to see them pulled together as a unit. So, Jim, you said you think Oklahoma is actually the most talented team in the in the conference and you think they'll end up number two behind Baylor. Is that what I heard you say? Yes. Okay. And then, Jim, what was your assessment of the 
the conference as a whole in terms of how you think it's going to turn out? And uh, if TCU can replace the guys they lost on defense, because they lost, they pretty much lost their top tackler, their second best tackler, their third top tackler. Like they basically lost most of their big guns in terms of, you know, their, their safety, their linebackers, or everything like that. Um, if they can replace those guys, if they could get some pass rush, which is a big, which is probably the bigger thing, if they could get somebody to rush the passer, that'll take that. They'll they'll be another level if they can do that. Um, I think they'll be in the conversation in that somewhere, maybe the top team, maybe the second, third. I think Baylor will be up there. And Oklahoma, they're kind of. Yeah, I mean they're 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 definitely talent wise they're that third team there, but they could be knocked out by. I could see a team like Texas or if everything goes right, or a team like Oklahoma State. I could see one of those teams possibly knocking them out of that third spot, possibly if they don't get the quarterback situation fixed. Um, 100%. But they're definitely very talented. I mean, they're, again, when you have Kareem, I mean, you're going to be a pretty good team. So, uh, you know, on offense-wise, it just limits everything and work from there. But, yeah, I, I, they're, like, they're definitely, I'd say TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma, I don't really know who's number one or number two or number three. So, those are just, they're all tied for, for first, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think TCU's a couple of reasons why I think they're the third of that group is I, I don't think I, I do think they lost too much on defense, and uh, they've got to go both to Oklahoma and to Baylor. So, got it. Okay, that's just brutal in the same year. <laughs> Right, it's kind of a tough, tough series of things to, to take on. So, I guess before we wrap, um, do you think that a Big 12 team has a chance to play, Steve, for the national championship? Do you think one of the best few teams in the country will come from the Big 12 this year? In the national championship? Yeah, or, do you think the team will, will make it deep into the playoffs from the conference? Yeah, do you think whichever team you think makes it out of the Big 12, do you see them making it all the way to, you know, the final? No. Oh, okay. Okay, I just that was quick. Uh, <laughs> same, same, same question for you, Jim. Do you think whether it be Oklahoma or TCU or Baylor, do you think there's a team from the Big 12 that will make it to one of the final four or even the final two? Maybe, and I say that because as we talked about the horse trading line, there probably was some horse trading um, in that meeting in terms of putting in a Big Ten team instead of a Big 12 team. And next year, we'll make sure to have priority to put a Big 12 team in. I'm not saying that's what happened. I'm just saying that that's a possibility. But, I mean... The basic, the way the national championship looks right now, the Big Ten is they got their spot. Ohio State's going to get their spot. NCC is going to get their spot. 
pretty much. <laughs> you know, nothing's really going to challenge that. Um, the Pac-12. Yeah, see, are they going to have yeah. any representatives? Let me give you the four things right now. Okay, right now. sure. Uh, or, <laughs> Fire when ready, Steve. The four teams are going to be Ohio State, Auburn, Clemson, and one of the Big 12 teams. One of the three Big 12 teams. Okay. Oh. Oh. Hmm. Interesting. Bill. There he is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, what... I was going to ask, what are your Heisman uh, predictions this year? You mean who the finalists will be? Mm-hmm. Ryan will be a finalist. Um, probably one of the Pac-12 quarterbacks. So Kessler maybe, or let's see who else might it be. Um, Don't sleep on Hunter course, Cook. Yeah. Um, I think one of the, I think one of the, um, how think, about, how about, how about Chubb, P. Ryan, one of the Ohio State quarterbacks? Yeah. Right. One of the Ohio State quarterbacks, yes. One of them. Um, the popularity <laughs> contest, and Connor Cook is not exactly popular, you catch my drift. So is it Christian Hackenberg for you? Yeah. I don't. I don't think he's going to win enough games. Well, I don't think he's going to – you can't throw 14 interceptions to be a high – you know. Right. I mean, don't you, have to throw, don't you have to throw more touchdowns than pitch? <laughs> yeah. And and when's the last time somebody from a seven-win team was a Heisman finalist? I can answer that question, but it wasn't recent, just so you know, Isaiah. <laughs> I can tell you when the last time it was, and it wasn't any time recently. Was it hard so, well, Horning's team went two and eight, so that's that'll never happen again. Uh, you'll never see somebody from a two-win team be a, win a Heisman, but that that was at a different era. But it's been a very long time. I'll put it that way. Um, it's been long before you were born, I'd say. It was the last time a team from a seven uh, a player from a seven-win team was a Heisman pilot. So I don't think it's gonna happen for Hackenberg. Um, they would have to have a much better season than I see them having. Even if he's much improved, and I think he'll be better next year. I don't think the team will be. Some people forget. It's supposed to be an individual award, but it's not really. If your team's bad, no matter how good you are, or your team's average even, no matter how good you are, you're not winning the Heisman or even going to be a finalist. You have to be a very good player on a very good team, or you can forget it. There have been lots of deserving Heisman finalists who weren't Heisman finalists because their team wasn't good enough. The last two Heisman Trophy winners were quarterbacks on a team that played in the national championship game. Right. And <laughs> something similar is likely to happen again. I will, like I said, I'll be very, very, very surprised if one of the Ohio State quarterbacks, whoever it's not to be, isn't one of them. I think it's going to um, be JT Barrett who's going to win the Ohio State job. Well, we'll see. <laughs> I wouldn't bet on that, but it's possible. Um, anything's possible. But like I said, whoever that may be, I think one of those guys is gonna is gonna be in the in the running. Like I said, Perrine is gonna put up such ridiculous numbers that you know, unless Oklahoma would have to just have a horrible season, I don't think they will. I think they're gonna be at least a nine win team. That's that sort of seems to be the sort of buy in level. Like if you can at least get to nine wins, you have a shot at the highest. 
uh, Robert Griffin III managed to uh, garner a hyphen on a nine and fourteen. And that's sort of the, you know, that's sort of the the bottom. If you can't get the nine, did the Georgia running back win the Heisman? Nick Chubb, maybe, but once again, Georgia needs to get the nine wins. So could, that's the whole question: Can Georgia get nine wins? If Georgia can get nine wins, Chubb can at least be a finalist. And I'll give you a dark horse: if he's as good as I think he is, Johnson is Auburn. Yes, that's another guy. Once again, if Auburn has the kind, of, you said they're going to be in the Final Four. That means that Johnson's a finalist. If mm-hmm. Auburn's one of the final four teams, then I agree with you. Johnson, Jeremy Johnson's a finalist if they're one of the final four teams. If they are a 12 and 1 team or something like that, then yeah. He's a so, hey guys, I'm going to play you back. I'm on the road. Oh, okay. Well, Isaiah, I was about to throw to you for your, for your guys. So, when, when are you calling back? Who do you call? Yeah, yeah, I will. We're, we're I'm saying, almost at my spot anyway. Oh, okay, because we're, we're getting close to the end here, Isaiah. So I thought you were going to yeah, give us yeah, your list. Oh, okay. <laughs> and Bill, okay. I, I have to go, Isaiah. I know. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, we're about to run, run okay. and uh, go grab my wife. So you guys you do that. Thank you very, very much for having me. Well, thank you, Steve. Thank you. It was a thrill, a privilege. And, a, a, and once again, um, I know you are a father <laughs> to two healthy dogs, I believe. Is that correct? Yes. Well, happy yeah. Father's Day to you and yours, then, Steve. I will I will see you again soon. And happy Father's Day to you as well, Bill. Thank you, sir. Bye. So, so um, I guess we're stalling until Isaiah calls back. Um, <laughs> thought for sure he's going to give us some guys. Okay, well, then I guess we'll talk about some of my guys. I'm, I'm, um, I'm juggling oranges as we speak. <laughs> talk about some some of my guys then I guess since we don't have his guys. Uh, <clears> as, <throat> I'm already, as, I'm, as I'm already gone on record, I think Jacoby Brissett takes a step up into top 100, you know, prospects conversation and will end up being one of the top five quarterbacks for us all said and done. Mm. Um, I mean, if you can fall in love with Christian Hackenberg, then why wouldn't you develop well, Warm feelings for Jacoby. You know, we started the show off talking about slavery, and I'm not going to go that far with it, but um, <laughs> there's a little bit of love for Hackenberg that deals with some things that are, you know what I mean, um, <laughs> under under the skin. Sort of thing. But, okay, uh, I, see, I see where you're going with that. Okay. I'm not, I, I do think that Jacoby Brissett might end up being the top five quarterback. I just don't know if he'll be beloved enough to be considered that. If that makes any sense. I know what you're saying. I, I see what you're <laughs> Yes, right, because certain things. Um, I think that Central Florida is going to continue to be a thorn in the side of the um, the process or whatever. It's not impossible that they might be undefeated. Now, it's, I'm not quite ready to predict that, but they're going to be close, I think. I mean, if they're undefeated, they're going to be maybe a one-loss team. They're going to be an interesting question to be answered is what to do with UCF. If they, if they do run the table, then, you know, could they be, I guess, the term we use them bracket buster now, I guess, the, the old basketball term. 
uh, now can be used in uh, SBS football. Um, there's going to be some team is going to, and I think it might be UCF, it could be somebody else, but from what I've seen thus far, I think UCF has the best chance to be that outsider that might gum up the works. And they've got a young, very young quarterback, but Justin Holman has some components that I like. Um, he's not ready. He's not there. He's not, you know, done or whatever. I mean, he's not, he's not finished cooking. Whatever term you want to use, there's some stuff that needs to happen with him. Um, but not this year, but the year after next, I think he might push himself into the top five QB conversation. And once again, this is the year that will help to determine that. Um, this is sort of a bounce back year, I think, for the tight end position. And I don't mean it's going to be like a loaded tight end class, don't get me wrong, but it's, it's not going to be pretty be... good. Right, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like last year's tight end class made us kind of sad. I think <laughs> this year's tight end class will make us much less sad. I think it's when well, again, yeah, this say. last tight end class, we had one guy, Max Williams, who was probably a, a day two pick in any other draft class. Yep. We had Kierman, who broke his leg immediately after being drafted, which sucks, but there you go. Yeah. Um, Correct. And we had uh, the 24-year-old tight end that the Raiders drafted. So, yeah, not exactly. Uh, it makes you... Makes you yearn for the for the Jason Morrow draft, right? You know, <laughs> let's go back to that draft. And no, I think this is going to be a really good signing class, honestly. Though, I mean, I think Arkansas is going to have two guys. You know, I think Sprinkle and and Hunter yeah, Henry. Cool I think those that? guys. I know. Right? How cool yeah. is that? When was yeah, the last time a team um, had two two tight ends drafted? Remember the last time it happened. I'm sure it's happened at least once in or twice probably, but it's been a while, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, those guys, uh, 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 under-the-radar guy, Stephen Chu at Vanderbilt. Yep. It's yep. another one of those <clears throat> interesting guys. Doesn't get a lot of publicity because, well, he plays at Vanderbilt. Um, Evan <laughs> Ingram, whether you think he's a – a wide receiver or H, I don't know, but he's sort of a tight end. Um, he'll probably be listed as that maybe um, as a pocket side tight end. Farrell Brown has done some stuff. Darian Griswold at Arizona State has physical sort of stuff. It's interesting. Elon Cartwright does some interesting stuff. So it'll be, uh, and of course, O.J. Howard, if he gets thrown the football. <laughs> Yeah, if he actually gets targeted, <laughs> then he can, like, headline the class in terms of the physical sort of guy. Uh, but, yeah, it's going to be a much better type of class. Yeah, I think, like I said, you'll see here that he arrives. And I think this is the year that the greatly damaged honor of um, of my old position, the safety position, gets a little more, a little better, a little... It's a boost. I mean, you know, it's a B-shot. Yes. yes. It was a position that was basically hit 
Um, Vision had a had the flu, had a bad cold, had you know the vapors, whatever it is, you know. So I am greatly hoping that things will improve, and I think they will improve at that position in this up year, this coming upcoming draft. And it's going to be three or four guys that would have been rated equal to or perhaps better than the best safety from last year's class. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a pretty deep safety class um, overall. uh, I think there'll be – there might be five or six taken in the top 50. (laughs) I might be getting ahead of myself, but that should happen. Yes, that that's a legitimate news story. You know, the fact that there'll be safeties that'll be worth having. You know, because we we had some some problems, we had some issues at the position, so I think right. that'll be better. I just don't understand why people devalue the position. At least I, I like I, I just want a coach to sit me down and go. Okay, so it's why does safety not matter? <laughs> you know, like why why do you not care about safety? Or talk to a GM about it and try to get their perspective from it. Because it's um is it just is it just one of those things where there's not a there's not a ton of really good ones, so it doesn't really matter. Like you're not, you're gonna have a hard time finding good ones. So you might as well just roll the dice in a lottery sort of system, or you know, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. Well, by the same logic, you could say the same about the quarterback position. There's not that many really good ones, so we'll just roll the dice. I mean, that's no one ever does that with a quarterback. Well, it seems like well, it's kind of what they. I, I kind of get that, but I mean, there's there's certain things that you know a lot like running back, a lot like other positions. People have types, and I think the types of safeties the NFL really like are a little out of their league. I'm trying to say, so hmm. they don't want to. They don't want to settle for certain things. They want high. They want a high standard for their safeties, and that high standard is not available. So, hmm. so in, in a way, they're turning away decent safeties that because of you know how they look or how tall they are, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, that. And look what that's gotten them, I think is what I would say to that. And look what it's gotten you. <laughs> and how's that working for you? And not so very now, well, hmm I guess the, 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 the point I was trying to make is that the game – is making the safety position more important, not less important. He's not just some guy who calls the back half of your defense and is hopefully a really, really good tackler. You can't just get by with we can, I guess, but it doesn't usually, like I said, usually work out if that's what you're just going with.
Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen some ugly things. We've seen some ugly things. Oh, yeah, Chris Conti. I mean, Chris (laughs) Conti is a starting safety in the NFL, people. So that means that there's 64 spots and we can't find one to take Chris Conti's spot. That's pretty sobering. When you think about it. When you put it that way, you know, wow. I think that there are safeties that'll take his spot, but I they don't want to. They don't want to do that. So, and I don't mean to keep on bringing up Greg Eban, but I mean, but you know, you got a guy working at Reebok right now that was as athletic as Calvin Pryor, more productive than Calvin Pryor, but he's now at Reebok selling cheese. For reasons that don't make sense. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. So So frustrating. I don't know. Maybe he'll get another shot. He's not he's not in camp right now, but we'll see. Maybe something will happen. Yeah. But yeah, this next safety class. I mean, Jeremy Cash, right? Pretty good. Michael Caputo is a white safety that people like. Um, Sean, Sean Davis. Well, that's what he is, though. I'm just being honest. He's a white safety yes, that no. people are legitimately like talking about. Um, that's exciting. You know, uh, Sean Davis in Maryland is kind of interesting. Carl Joseph, obviously. Uh, Nathan Gary at Nebraska is another one of those guys kind of interesting. Nate Andrews at Florida State. Uh, the other guy at Florida State, I don't think he's a top five pick, though, but he's definitely pretty, uh, um, uh, I can't believe this guy's name, but the Ramsey, yeah, Jalen Ramsey. Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, yeah, I figured right. I'd see him. Yeah, Von Bell, and I would say he's another safety that's it's very interesting to see where he goes. Uh, there's also the safety at uh, um, Mississippi, I think. Um, oh, Tony Thomas? My guy? Yeah, 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 he's another guy that might do stuff too. Craven. Is that linebacker, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> you know, uh, I guess we'll have to take his name off the list. He's been taken from us, you know, and there's no getting him back. We, we don't have the Liam Neeson of draft next to, you know. <laughs> I will find you, and I will put you back at safety. Um, and also Kevin. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Kevin Bayard at Middle Tennessee State. Mm-hmm. He, he's yep. got an interesting safety. Um Orion Scooter, Baylor's kind of, sort of. So, so, I mean, there's a lot of guys now. That's a lot better than last year. Better. Last year, there was a handful of guys. Last year, the top safety was Landon Collins. And to be honest with you, it was it's, hard, it's not as easy to make a case that he wasn't the top, at least strong safety-wise, you know. Like, yep. there's yep. a few other guys here and there, but it was really – hard to make a case against him being the top safety, and yet he was also not exactly very good <laughs> in terms of being a, you know, uh, more than just a strong safety type. So, um, you know, different era, right? You know, if he was just 10, decades, 10 years ago, he just entered 10 years ago, he would have had this long career. And, you know, that maybe, he would probably have a long career, but he just won't have as big of an like he won't be 
known as like one of the best pitchers ever. But yeah, this is going to be a very sharp pitching class, and I think that's something that doesn't get brought up a lot. You know, so it's interesting so, to see which which safeties emerge that we don't like that everybody else is going to be, you know, going, oh, I love him so much. He hits people really hard. But what else does he do? He hits people really hard. That's what he does. Yeah, I think people have learned from the DJ Swearinger situation that, you know, that that's no longer enough in the NFL. I think people have caught on to that now. So what group, what class do you think ends up being the one that we look back and think, how did I manage to miss on? Like, what's the one you think has the most sort of hidden value in it amongst the position group that you've checked out so far? You mean this year coming up? 2016, yeah, coming up. Yeah, uh, inside linebacker. Oh, okay. It's a uh, pursuit linebacker is the best way to put it, but um, I know people will – I don't know. I have to get people to buy in. I'm the innovator here, and I just have to get the the people to push that push that ball up that hill and get it into mainstream. But yeah, pursuit linebackers are guys who run and chase. You know, they tackle. They're not really pass rushers. They are mostly off ball. The reason I don't like off ball is off ball could be an edge guy. You could be an edge guy who spends a lot of time off ball and rushes off ball. So sure. I think. The better way to define that is rush linebacker, pursuit linebacker. Simple, right. concise, right? But, but, yeah, I think it's going to be a really good pursuit linebacker class. Uh, you know, Tyler uh, Medikevich, Simple, is in the class. Scooby Wright, obviously. Even though he gets hate, that's fine, you know. You can hate on Scooby Wright all you want, but not that he's not making tackles. Um Zeke Bigger, Detavis Brown, Akron's another guy who's really he's like my secret weapon sort of guy. I guess. Uh Jalen Smith at Notre Dame. Uh, is another guy that I'm I'm really excited to see what he does this year. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um Daniel Jeremiah absolutely loves that kid. Yep. Yep. Jalen Smith is really good. Yeah, he's uh in terms of, you know, physical talent, he definitely is a lot more physically Oof. talented than, than You'd be yeah. right, but yeah. he. But hey, let's see what happens. That he could, you know, be the best out of everybody. Yeah, pretty much this year. What happens? Uh, Steve Longa, records another pursuit linebacker that's really good. Josh Forrest at Kentucky, the guy I could see starting on Sunday as an inside linebacker. So you know, that's. I know that might sound crazy, but I, I, I kind of, I see that. Uh, Joshua Perry at Ohio State. Another one of those guys that I could see starting. Um, Control Brothers at Missouri. Um, yeah. uh, Chris Frost at Auburn. If he can kind of, you know, develop a little bit. Miles Jack yeah. at UCLA. You know, in terms of what what he ends up doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, tons. I just view this pursuit linebacker class as, like, this is a deep of the deep, you know, defense-wise, you know, I view it that way. There's just a lot of really high-end uh, talent. There's also a lot of really good talent there, too. 
the NFL doesn't like these guys. They don't like to draft them early, but I mean, they're going to have to, you know, (laughs) because when I look at defensive tackle, I see a few guys here and there, but I don't see a ton um, of really, I would want to spend the top 50 pick on. I don't see a lot of those guys or even a top 100 pick. I don't see a ton. And edge wise, I mean, there's, Joey Bosa and you're not wild about like, you're not wild about Daddy Nicholas. It sounds like <laughs> no, no. I mean he's okay, but it's not exactly a. I mean I don't know. I mean there's there's lots of stuff he needs to do. Obviously we talk about Ogba. He's definitely a very physically talented player, but hasn't really put their stuff together. So it's very much a a question mark in terms of how many of these guys will actually be really developed when it's all said and done. Right. So that's my bigger issue with the edge class. Tight end wise, I think it's gonna be strong. Wide receivers, wide receivers gonna be strong, but then again, it's always gonna be strong. Like, are we ever gonna have a weak wide receiver class? <laughs> I might be. If you see know, I might be going a little ahead of myself, but I just don't. Like we're we're there's gonna legitimately be about five wide receivers that are gonna start on Sunday every year for the next thousands of years. <laughs> so you know there's there's always gonna be a class that has at least five guys that are gonna do stuff. Um, you know, running back's a little weaker. Quarterback has the potential to be really good, but that's like every year. <laughs> like that's. That's, that's, that's kind of like that cornerback I think is pretty so, yeah I think in terms of underrated stuff I think pursuit linebackers are really underrated uh, I think tight end is going to be really strong um, wide receiver is going to be strong running back is going to be a little bit of a letdown but there's definitely some stuff there and uh, yeah and I think the interior I think the defensive wide group is going to be a little sparse there's not going to be as much. I mean, there's definitely going to be high-end talent, but not a lot of, you know, very steep drop in terms of guy. So, and obviously safety is going to be, you know, but that's pretty much it. Two linebackers and safety. If you need those guys, this is a draft. To get gotcha. So which class do you see as the, the weakest overall from what you've seen thus far? Which position group? The weakest. Uh, In your opinion. Hmm. I'd, I'd probably say defensive tackle. Um, especially. Uh, there's just not a lot of... Uh, most of the guys... I've just not done the guys in this class coming into this year though, that's the big thing. Coming into this year, most of the defensive tackles that are coming out this year are significantly less productive than the guys that came out this year. Mm-hmm. And the guys that came out this year were not exactly special productive either. So mm-hmm. it's a drop off from the guys this year. Now of course they haven't played yet, but right. I'm a little more interested in guys like Javon Hargrave. Right, South Carolina State, uh, Luther Maddie, who most people probably don't even talk about all that much. 
anymore. I, 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 I like Luther Maddie. He's been hurt, obviously, but I like him a great deal. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, him. Uh, Anthony Zettel doesn't get much love, but he eventually he will. You know, he has yeah, that he sort will. of Henry Anderson sort of, you know, thing to him. Sean Oakman, I just don't view as an interior defensive lineman. You know, as much as people want to keep sticking sticking in that three four defensive end, he's not that type of guy. You know, <laughs> like he's not that he's not a hold the point and shed and tackle type of guy. He's more of a get up field and blow stuff up guy. So <laughs> like that's it's just not his it's not his style. So I understand that people want to put him back as a body type, but I just don't think that fits. You know. <clears throat> Vernon Butler, Louisiana Tech's another guy that I'm a big fan of, but obviously what we've seen is guys from that sort of conference end up going into sixth round because of whatever. So, you know, um, the big name guys like Kenny Clark or Tim DJ, Darius Hamilton, those guys I see as more <clears throat> kind of day two guys at best. You know, Kadiche is definitely very physically talented, but hasn't done a ton with it. You know, um, and and Kadiche has a lot of Bosa in him as well, where he almost is doing stuff just to beat up the offensive lineman versus actually make it a play. Right. You know, so there's a little bit of I want him to actually impact the game. Uh, Buckner. Yeah, there's people out there that think Arms is better than Buckner. It's funny, but there's people out there that like that. Um, I think that he has the potential to be a, a three-four defensive starter guy. Probably day two is kind of where I have him at right now. Um, Hassan Ridgeway, you know, we already talked about him for a little bit. Um, Montrevious Adams at Auburn is really talented, but hasn't done a ton of stuff. You know, Sheldon Day, kind of same difference. And he's also going to be ding dong because of height. It's not really the tallest of the tackle. But if you go, oh, that's BS. Well, look at Michael Bennett. Look what happened to him. <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, Andy Vander Vanderdoo at UCLA is another guy. That's kind of and Kyle Rhodes is kind of yeah. So basically, I just don't. I've seen a lot of these guys, and I just don't see a ton of stuff that really jumps off the page. It just seems like a lot of guys that are going to be possible starters to backup types with a few guys who are really physically talented, but they're probably not going to – they just have to put all that stuff together. But there's not a ton of those guys, so it doesn't seem like a very strong group as far as – and variety as well. There's not a ton of really – like there's there's definitely three, four defensive ends, but there's not exactly a – a giant smorgasbord of them. You know, every position there's like a few guys, but that's about it. And so I guess I like to sort of throw in a few guys that I think uh, are, you know, whatever can use under the radar, um, undervalued, underrated, whatever. There are a couple of guys that you named some already, actually. But I think people, whether it be due to injury or oh, there he is. All right. So Isaiah, you have been for quite some time letting people know that you've started putting together your 2016 board. So 
how far have you gotten? Like, how many guys do you have do you have ranked at this point? I have fifty ranked. Okay, so who's number fifty so far? Well, I'm counting down from a hundred. I started with the countdown of a hundred. I've done fifty from done. I'm ranking the other fifty. Ah, okay. So you, I, so I already number... have my profile ranked out. I just have to rank the other fifty. Well, oh, counting okay. from one, counting from a hundred. Uh, number one hundred, I have Artavis Scott. Oh, okay, got it. From Clemson. I I said Scott has a very good catch radius for being five ten. Stated to be a slot receiver, has deep speed, struggles sometimes to drops. My big concern is his route tree. All you all you see really is those deep shell crosses. Um, yeah. And his footwork. I just I got this comparison from Jim, uh, Jacoby Ford, but I said a little bit better. Is that kind of speed? Yeah, we'll see if he has that kind of speed. He's fast. I don't know if he's to go before he's fast. But, uh, okay. And who's number 99? 99, Farrell Cooper. Cooper is ah. fast. One big concern I have is his change of direction. I've seen a lot of him left him from struggling trying to change, you know, what way he's facing to catch the ball. Um, especially with his cut in and out of breaks. Uh, my comparison, I reduced it on my tumor, but a faster version. But um, Jim convinced me to Santana Moss. Ooh, okay. Santana Moss. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> like I said, I'll see these guys test as well. As, Kessler. As, okay, go ahead. Uh, Kessler okay. is a very uh, accurate quarterback. Though, unlike the other USC quarterbacks, he is very small, a slight frame. My comparison was Colt McCoy, but better on Okay. Not a bad comparison. Keep going. 97. Uh, he's a freshman. Jared Maiden. Um, he's a six-foot corner, 190 pounds. He's a cornerback with safety ability. Uh, can contribute... Uh, in stopping the run game, uh, I didn't have a comparison yet. He's still uncommitted, but I went by measurables. Apparently. O.J. Howard. Okay. Good blocker. Has very good speed to get by a tight end capable of being a game changer. Kobe Spleener. Oh, okay. Not a terrible comparison. Okay, keep going. 95. Wide receiver Charlie Warner. He is six five two twenty. Though he um, though he played uh, some cornerback for six five dude. Uh, he racked one hundred twenty two tackles and six interceptions in high school. Uh, he's only willing to play wide receiver, but I believe he could actually play tight end as a sort of small tight end. I haven't had. I don't. I don't have a comparison for him yet. But number ninety-four now. Uh, Tavon Diggs, um, Stephen Diggs' brother. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's applying at Penn State. He chose them over Maryland. Um, I haven't had a comparison yet for him because I haven't watched him. Um, number ninety-three. I put Nate Andrews. 
511-210 safety. Um, they have two all-star safeties, him and Pitch. I mean, not Ramsey. Uh, yeah, him and Ramsey. I think he's more talented than Ramsey. But uh, right now, Ramsey's the better player. Um, I said a more physical Eric Berry. Oh, wow. Well, okay. That's... Woo. Well, so I guess we're talking about a Hall of Famer then. Okay, keep going. <laughs> um, number 92, uh, Spencer Drango, the old lineman, 66310. Mm-hmm. If, if Drango entered the draft, he would be at least the first-round pick, but if he, but he came back to refine his technique and hopefully become a top-ten pick, I don't have a comparison. I said I cannot compare offensive linemen. Okay. Right. Uh, number 91, Wayne Gallman, running back, Clemson. I put fast, elusive, good vision, a knock if there is a quote-unquote knock. Is you hardly ever see him break any tackles. Um, he has excellent hands out of the backfield. I said a comparison, Terrence West. Hmm. Obviously, uh, number not nine, powerful, but okay, yeah, keep going. Number 90, Carl Lawson. Coming off a knee injury, the 6'2", 255 defensive end was the best player on the Auburn defense two years ago. He can uh, remind people how, if he can remind people how dominant he was with a good year with the ability to dance around the offense lineman and his ability to match power with the opposing left tackle. Um, I had a hard time finding a comparison for him. So. Oh, really? Um, well, I mean, there's some fairly obvious ones, you know. Corey, I mean, well. people, that being one of them. That being one. Yeah, that's sort of an easy one. Well, those are the ten I was going to debut this week. That's fine. That'll work. Um, so, some of these guys you think you've never you've never seen. How uh, do you rank? Mm-hmm. So how do you? Mm-hmm, Good. A lot of it was, I went through some of their high school uh, statistics and some of their film, what I could find. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it was on sites and uh, what I've heard from scouts. Okay. Sure. Um, I guess the one thing I would say is I, I always try to be cautious about that kind of thing. A lot of guys are killers in high school. Yeah, a lot of guys are absolute killers in high school and you know, they have an amazing reputation coming in and they never see the field. You know, I could I could spend literally all night telling you about five star supposedly that never played, never played a down in college football. You know, so you gotta be careful about that. You know, a lot of these guys have these great reputations that were all this and all that, all Americans and never played. Just didn't play. Sometimes it's grades, sometimes injuries, sometimes just aren't as good as they were supposed to be. So I just, you know, I just try to be a little cautious about that just in case the guy ends up not even being a player at all. I mean, there's guys I could name. You wouldn't know them because you wouldn't have heard of them because they didn't play. But these guys are supposed to be top ten overall coming out of high school. And they just ended up not playing at all in college. So, yeah, that's funny. I would just caution you about that. Okay. Um, so people, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Um. 
I really had a hard time finding comparisons for Nate Andrews. Can you, uh, what would be somebody you compare him to? Oh, um, let me think about this. Jim, do you have anybody that Nate Andrews put you in mind of? <laughs> uh, I, I do, but, uh. He ignored me a lot. I didn't ignore you. You're sending me tweets. Uh, I was about to go on the show, so I'm like, uh, and plus it's hard. Well, that, this was like three days ago. Uh, I don't think so. I think this was recently. Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. I don't know. I, mean, I tweet a lot. You tweeted me a, a bunch, too. So, <laughs> in terms of, what was the comparison for this guy? What was the I, <laughs> I was thinking Myron Roll, but probably faster, but that's just his Florida State. But yeah, um, right, right, okay. I could sort, but, of, uh, sort of kind of see that. It's uh, but but definitely, definitely more you know physically, just in terms of speed and stuff like that. So, um, but like like what Bill said, if if he is Eric Berry, like he said as a comparison, that he would be like player number ten on that list. Uh, <laughs> right, exactly. He wouldn't be ninety. That's my point. Yeah, if you could to change up your rankings if you think that guy is a more physical version of Eric Perry because that's a Hall of Famer if, if you talk <laughs> about a more physical version of Eric Perry. So, yeah, you need to probably reshuffle there too. Next time I date it, you're not going to like it. Is that Ever Golson in that mix? Well, Ever Golson, that's fine. I mean, you can put it wherever you want. There's nothing wrong with Ever Golson. I mean, Josh Norris is a big fan of Ever Golson, so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, nothing wrong with that. Hey, who knows? Maybe the guy has a huge year. Maybe you know, wins Heisman. But I'm once again, I used to take a wait and see attitude with with guys who are changing programs because once again, you don't know if the guy's gonna even see the field. That's the only thing I would just be cautious about. One guy I haven't ranked on my list yet. Um, the safety out of USC. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it's a safety or a linebacker. That's the thing. Oh, he's a linebacker now. Currently he's played linebacker. both, but he's yeah. played well at both. But he's but he's he's basically well, they decided that he's going to be the will permanently. So so he's so he's that uh, Shaq Thompson, uh, Thomas Davis mold. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I guess. Better, yeah. better player than Shaq Thompson. Um, I don't know if he's Thomas Davis yet. Uh, but he could be Thomas Davis. I mean, that's this year, I guess, will help us start to get that part out. Um, he, he's a, he could be special. I mean, he has a chance to be like Thomas Davis. So that, that's an open question. I guess. He could get to that point. But he's going to have to... Uh, I mean, there's still NFL teams that I'm sure want to, want to see him work on safety. <laughs> so it depends also on where, where he goes, what team, things like that. But there's definitely teams that... that that have warm. I mean, we just talked about how hard it is to find really good safeties. You have a better chance finding another good lineback- outside linebacker than finding another really great safety. So for his for his draft value, I don't know if USC's done him any favors, but once again, it's not their job. They're trying to win football games at the collegiate level. But there are certainly guys that that Sula Cravens reminds me of, and you know. Uh, one of them, I guess, would be a guy like Cato June. I mean, especially if he ends up playing, 
linebacker who is all saying none, but Cato Jim was another guy that played both positions in college and ended up probably settling at, at will linebacker. Do you know if Juju Smith is playing wide receiver or cornerback now? Well, he's he's a cornerback. Oh, he's wide receiver. Because he played a little bit of cornerback. I just couldn't. He's a wide receiver. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, you're thinking about a three tag. That's what you're thinking about. Juju didn't play both. You're thinking about a three tag. Oh, well, Juju Smith's playing wide receiver. Yeah, Juju Juju Smith. And he's going to be a really good one. Right. You're thinking about a three tag. That's what you're thinking about. They're using a lot of their players two ways, so. Well, that was a different Just giant. Oh, I can't hear you. Yeah, I can't hear you, though. Are you there? Oh, they're they're finally getting over the scholarship production. That's what that was about, the scholarship production. So, yeah, they were doing that for a while because they didn't have a full complement of guys in their scholarship until just recently. Now they have a full complement of guys in their scholarship. So you won't see as much of that. But it's a Dory Jackson you were thinking of, Isaiah. That's who played both ways last year, not Juju Smith. Um, yeah, can, you, somebody, can you hear me? I, I, yeah. Oh, good. Okay, good. Somebody I haven't debuted on the list at all, but I'm thinking about putting them on like maybe later is uh Jalen Smith, Notre Dame, six two, three two thirty five. <laughs> yeah, you might want to put him on the list. Huh? Yeah, you might want to put him on the list. Yeah. Yeah, you might want to do that. Yeah, you might want to do that. Yeah, this is probably gonna be a first first on that so yeah, you might want to wasn't he the best defensive player on the roster currently? Notre Dame, Notre Dame's roster, uh, yeah, by far yeah, the best player on their yeah. roster. Hopefully, he's better than what Man Titeo was. Mm-hmm. Oh, not even. Comfortable. Oh yeah, <laughs> not even comfortable. Not even Definitely time. to quote uh, to quote John Davis, I guarantee it. <laughs> I thought you said I guaranteed it. You might have yeah. said that, but the point is that yes, you can feel <laughs> safe with that. You can you can feel safe with that. He is yes, that's a yes, definitely a better player. So, any other questions, guys? Able before we close the sucker out? Mm, no. Okay, so Isaiah, tell people where they can find and follow your work. Well, um, not much of my work's been up yet because uh, I recently uh, started with Top Source Support maybe three months ago, and a lot of it's my research stuff, and I hand it to people and they would publish it, but none of it's really been going up yet because the editor's been out. Um, but I am finishing up this top 100 list, and then I'm going to be ranking uh, top 20 wide receiver duos in college football. So I kind of, today kind of tied everything in. Um, okay. And then currently after that, I have been scheduled to 
do a top five college quarterbacks, not named Ohio State, hopefully. Um, okay. Basically, I'm doing all college r- rankings. Okay. Perfect. And, and how can people find you? How can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me on Twitter at <laughs> Isaiah C capital F uh, underscore NFL. Okay. And Mr. Coburn, let people know what you're up to and how they can find and follow your work, sir. Uh, I'm just uh, breaking down tape, uh, moving along as we kind of do uh, SEC guys. I actually think Arkansas, I know it's early, but I think Arkansas is going to be surprised. Surprise. Mm-hmm. Team, oh, I think. Um, that's that's like a that's gonna be like a nine, maybe even ten win team. Yeah, they're gonna be a handful next year. I yeah, agree. they're gonna be a lot better uh, next year. So I was just yeah, you know, checking out different teams. I have about two more seasons worth of uh, defensive market share in the NFL to get done. Um, then once I get all that stuff done, I'm gonna I will put out an article eventually, even next week, showcasing a few uh, things here and there in terms of. Uh, a few things I found because there was a bunch of things that kind of showed up there and the correlations between uh, college production and NFL production and that sort of stuff. So um, I'll be posting that stuff next week. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I've been just enduring the summer in Fresno, the heat. It's like it's been 100 degrees ish. So, but uh, yeah. But hey, yeah, summertime, so. Get out there and Yeah, it's been raining it. where we've been. Yeah. <laughs> raining not stopped. Oh, that's, that's good. And of course uh, you can find my work at offerfootballsource.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Capital J little M little C little O little B little E little R little N one. And uh yeah, that's about it. So. Excellent. Well, excellent. Uh perfect. So we will keep grinding, as they say. Uh we'll be plowing ahead. Uh, so now that we have made it through the bigs, um, the a, we made it through the AAC, the ACC, the big, uh, the big East is no more, obviously. So we made it the big eight is no more, but we've made it through the big 10, big 12. Uh, we will be taking on the ever popular conference USA and uh, going through our top prospects and then uh, tomorrow, I guess Isaiah, if he's available, may join us and drop another ten. If not, uh, we'll have him again next week. And I want to uh, throw a thanks out to Steve Morton, who was able to join us. Also, we'll be having uh, some special guests next week. I believe we may have uh, Alex Brown with us next week, and I believe we'll have Montel Hardy with us as well. It is always a an honor, a, pr- a privilege, and a pleasure uh, to all the fathers out there. Happy Father's Day, and to those who are not fathers, a happy Father's Day, all fathers in your lives, and we'll do this again in one week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.